everyone, Laura K. Buzz here, and today we are back with another episode of the Crystal Clodcast. Today is episode 12, and I am here as ever with Retta. Hi! I'm Super Retta, pretty much everywhere, if you want to find me. And Mia. Hello. If you want to follow me on Twitter, you can find me at OmiaGod. Hooray! And uh, today's episode of the Crystal Clodcast, we are going to be talking about episode 54, Joyride, episode 55, Say Uncle, episode 56, Love Letters, episode 57, Reformed, episode 58, Sworn to the Sword, and episode 59, Rising Tides, Crashing Skies. Um... We're doing six episodes this week so that we don't break up a two-parter next episode. And if the episode numbers are confusing, this is the other place where they might be confusing. Because some of the episodes that we did in season at the end of season one, depending on your viewing order, might have been slotted in here instead. So, yeah, because the Uncle Grandpa episode is a season one episode, I think, technically. Yeah, it's, um, yeah the Uncle Grandpa one... And what's the other one? Love Letters, I think, yeah, are the two episodes so. that get slotted into season one, but they were intended to air in season two. Right, yeah, um, that's it. Yeah. So, again, we're using the Wikipedia episode order um, as the intended viewing order. So just go with our episode titles each week. Um, so we should probably just jump straight in and start with episode 54, Joyride. Um now, this is one that we did break up from last episode's batch, just because, my goodness, last episode was like two and a half hours of recording. We could not have done a sixth episode. But it's kind of tied on. It it does fit really nicely on the end of that last batch. Yeah, it begins with them cleaning up the remains of the gem ship, mm-hmm. so we have continuity straight after the last episode. Yeah. I, I really like that they keep up this level of continuity from the end of season one into the start of mm. season two. Like, there is a good... Probably six or seven episodes in a row that could very nicely flow between each other. Yeah. Yeah. Which is really nice. Um, so they're clearing up parts of the, the exploded gem hand ship. And the cool kids turn up on the beach and uh, they welcome Stephen back to Earth, figuratively. Um, Stephen, what's Stephen's response? It's like, how did you know? Who told you? Yeah. How did you know? <laughs> Yeah. Like, oh, you were just, you know, off on another planet. Mm-hmm. That that idiom that you did not get. Yeah. They say that they can't leave Gemtech on the beach, but there has been Gemtech all over. That's why Beach City, keep Beach City weird, even exists. Yeah. No. Like there. I, I think the difference is that this is new Gemtech. This is like they understand the Gemtech that's on Earth currently. Mm. This is something different that came to Earth. They don't know the tech that that handship had. I think that's why they're so concerned about like we've got to clear this up because this is a big unknown that we don't know how to deal with. Yeah, this is the homeworld ship, kind of modern yeah. unknown. And- I don't know because there was like the the big red eyeball that they blew up. And there were chunks of that around, which is part of the Beach City weird. Yeah, I, I think explicitly, like, what makes the, this hand different is this hand, we know it contained tech that was capable of imprisoning or disrupting gems. Yeah. And I think that's, like, there's probably a little bit of worry of what if humans get in co- control of tech that can split up garnet or that can imprison mm. the gems in force fields. It's it's a weapon as well, isn't it? Like, doesn't it yeah. shoot at them? Yeah. So presumably it, there's like a gun on it. It's a thing that like put them at considerable risk and they're probably scared of not retrieving it all. Mm. 
Um, so I really like this little interaction we get at the start of the episode between the cool kids and Stephen. I love... It's one of those examples where I love their dynamic between they are basically cynical teenagers who quite like that Stephen <laughs> is an optimistic kid still. Yeah, he's very genuine and innocent compared to their kind mm, of jaded... Yeah. Uh, we were about to go chill in the parking lot and freak out some squares. Oh, I don't have anything against squares. I like all basic shapes. Um, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. You've got that much-needed counterpart to our cynical worldview. <laughs> like, they... I love that they like Steve... They, they don't look down on Stephen because he's optimistic, which is usually how you portray those teenage characters is, oh, you're still optimistic, that's such a bad thing, you haven't learned to be yeah. cynical yet. They idolise it. They're like, oh, you still have, like, positivity. We we need that. This yeah. is the thing that we've lost that we should... <laughs> exactly. We, we can't do that anymore, but you can do it. You can balance out all this Yeah, badness. come join us so that we don't stay too cynical. Like, they recognise their own cynicism mm-hmm. and that it's a negative trait, which is... Yeah. This is why I love Steven Universe's cool kids. They're not like you usually yeah, see cool kids the, presented. Yeah, pessimistic jerks. <laughs> It's it's fun because it's a nice counter to when we saw them with Lars and they didn't quite get along with Lars because Lars was forcing. He's, this he's act. trying to force cynicism, whereas like genuine, like enthusiasm, if it's genuine, mm. is great. Like they just want they just want yeah. people to be <laughs> sincere in themselves, mm-hmm. and they can smell forced cynicism. Yeah. Um, which I'm hoping we've seen some descriptions for upcoming episodes in the next Stephen Bomb. Hopefully we're going to get an episode where Lars does something about so. that. I hope that's where we're going. It feels like that's what his character arc is. It's yeah. about that kind of discovery of being himself. And it's not... okay to be yourself. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, basically, Stephen's like, nah, I've got I've to deal with the gem gunk. And goes to sleep and ends up getting woken up. Pizza rain. <laughs> it's really responsible of Stephen, though, being like, I'm sorry, guys, I want to hang out with you, but I can't because I have to do this gem thing. He is he is good. He's trying to do the responsible mm-hmm. thing yeah, and do what priorities. he's supposed to. Um, so, yeah, no, he gets woken up in the night by pizza rain, and we get references that clearly no child is going to understand what's being referenced. Because what is... Let me pull up the line... Um, Pizza rain, but no pizza clouds. Um, why are you making it pizza rain? I only wanted to see you laughing in the pizza rain. And Stephen's like, is that a reference to something? Because I don't get it. And it's it's meant to be purple rain. Um, I only wanted to see you laughing in the purple rain. I find it interesting that to make it amusing for kids, they do have Stephen be like, is that a reference? That's weird. That means nothing yeah. to me. Yeah, whereas the so, adults can be like, no, that's Prince lyrics. Yeah, like, it works on like two levels because obviously kind of the older crowd get the reference and the kids are like, he's been weird. That's, that's yeah. a Yeah, uh, it's a weird old person yeah. grown-up joke. <laughs> um, but yeah, they, they encourage Stephen to go, to go outside at night and I like Stephen's innocence that he's like, no, nighttime is for sleeping. And they're like, nah, we're teenagers. It's for whatever you want it to be for. We're cool. They're bad influences on Stephen. They're they're not terrible influences. Like, once in a while being like... Well, actually, to be fair, it is super weird for a bunch of teenagers to be like, we're going to find a kid, like, (laughs) undeniably a child, and convince them to leave their house and come with us without their guardian's consent in the middle of the night. To be fair, he's meant to be a teenager. Because, like, his next birthday, I think he turns 14, so he's meant to be 13. 
Yeah, but that's still, like, young enough that, like, a bunch of 16, 17-year-olds probably shouldn't be, like, getting him to leave his house in the middle of the night yeah, and join them. because they can drive, so they're at least, yeah. like, 16. Yeah, it's still a bit... Their age gap is not so weird in the daytime. <laughs> if it's in the night without parental awareness, it gets a bit if, weird. If I read a news story that was, like, you know, 16-year-olds basically take homeschool child with them away on midnight road trip... I would be concerned. I'd be like, oh, poor, like, you might have had fun, but poor child. You should, yeah, this should not have happened. They've been pressured into it. Um, so, yeah. So, I, I like some of the conversations we get in this car about the teenagers and their issues they have with their parents. Mm-hmm. Like, they're not necessarily the biggest problems in the world, but they're very humanising. Like, they explain a lot about what these characters hold important to them and... They're very much real teenage yeah, absolutely. issues. They're the kind of things that seem like the world to you when you're like 15, 16. Exactly. Like, oh, you know, um, my dad doesn't understand me or he, he won't let me like follow my passion. It's the stereotypical like teenage versus parents thing. And we yeah. also get through this. It's the kind of semi-confirmation that sour cream is Onion's half-brother. Yes, that um, the fisherman guy whose name I never remember, <laughs> I remember is is Sour Cream's stepdad. Yeah, he's specifically um, stepdad. Yeah, because we later find out that um, the music producer Marty is his biological dad, which is implied on the the episode where he well. gets mid when yeah. uh, Greg has his concert. But I find it really interesting that Sour Cream is like, oh yeah, my stepdad was like, woo, 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 woo. <laughs> and like, I I don't know what that says about the canonness of that's what sound his dad is actually making. I was thinking that, I was like, so does he not understand what his stepdad is saying and he's just making noises or is he saying this is what he said and he understands I I get the impression that he understands and he's mimicking the actual sounds his dad made. I don't know if it's meant to be like another language. I still like the pet theory that like it's his dad, his stepdad being deaf possibly. Or something to that effect. And it's meant to be implying the sort of like the the affected way that some people who are deaf who do still speak it sounds a bit different possibly I I don't know I'm curious I, I think there's something there it seems too deliberate to not be I don't know if we'll ever get an answer for that but I think it's interesting that sour cream who does speak in understandable understandable English does at this moment at least as far as I read it mimic his dad's speech accurately it seems. Mm. I was just thinking um, it's interesting that Sour Cream wants to be a DJ because his biological dad is a music producer. Oh, point. Yeah. I didn't think of that. It, it is like, I think a lot of that is meant to be he idolises the dad that's not present because yeah. like the implication is his dad has been gone most of his life, has just been this distant figure that his mother probably acknowledged. It's like, oh yeah, your dad's off being a mu- being involved in music and... Oh, that's quite sad. It's like, does yeah. he want his dad's approval? I, I, think, that this I think that is part of it, is he wants to do music in the hopes that that will bring oh. his dad back, maybe. <laughs> is that his dad will care about him if he's good at music. music yeah. Which makes that episode where his dad does come back and try and manage his music career all the more depressing. Mm. <laughs> um, so yeah, we get a bit of a bit of a look at the, the various uh, teens. Uh, sour Cream. My stepdad was all on my case today, saying... Woo, 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 woo. <laughs> Uh, I'm just like, I don't want to be a fisherman. Everyone knows you can't rave in a raincoat, Dad. Um, 
Buck's issue is um, my dad's got to say something about everything I do because I'm the mayor's son. And I'm like, you can't tell me what to do. I'm the mayor's... Wait. <laughs> like, I like that he hasn't really thought through his anger. He knows he's annoyed. Yeah. But he can't think of a logical way to explain his annoyance. Clearly saying, like, I'm the mayor's son is something he's fallen back on before. And this is the moment where he realises, oh, okay. He doesn't like his dad having expectations on him because he's the mayor's son. But he does like being able to get away with things because he's the mayor's son. And that conflicted dichotomy is a struggle for him. Which is interesting. One thing I was wondering, like... About the age of the teenagers that take him out. Like, they treat Stephen as, as if he's an equal. So, um, like, it makes me wonder if they're meant to be around the same age. No, I, I, th- I think there's meant to be an age difference. I think it's just that they they don't see that age difference as a problem in terms of their ability to socialise. Yeah. Like, I think that they see he's got a lot of weight on his shoulders and he's used, like, that he isn't necessarily as world... A lacking in world knowledge as is usually a barrier for age. Mm. Yeah, I do think there's supposed to be a gap. Like, I'm not sure if they're meant to be the same age as Lars or maybe a year or so older than him, because he clearly idolises them. Lars and Sadie are clearly old enough to work without supervision in a shop, which suggests to me that they're probably 16. So they're probably around the same age. So I'd assume the cool kids are maybe a year or two older, maybe. Mm. They're old enough to drive. Stephen is 13. So there's definitely three to four years gap. Um, I think it says more that just it's the way those teens are presented is that they just don't see a need to treat him differently just because of his age. Um... The last well, that's one... not that much of an age gap. That's like the age gap that me and Mia have. It, it's not. It, it, feels... it is, it is, at, that it age, is at that age. Yeah. They're like, I can't imagine 17 year old me wanting to go hang out with a 13 year old. It's, it's basically like, honestly, it's the opposing sides of puberty. And there yes. is a big yeah. difference in mentality across the two sides of I that. Think, yeah, that's a really good point. Uh, that's the best way to put it, I think. It's, it's not so much to do with the numbers. It's, it's, is the yeah, dividing. it's the dividing point yeah. of child and young adult. Mm. Um, we Jenny as well gives a bit of. I love Jenny's explanation of what annoys her. Um, you don't know what, how bad it is until you have a sister. Look, I don't know how many times I have to spell it out to you that I'm the evil twin and she's the good one. <laughs> don't ask me to help you with your homework. I'm at some metal concert. Like, I don't think she honestly believes she's evil, but I, I think that that's her way of putting across like. I am the the sort of punk rock rebellious teen and therefore don't have expectations of me because I'm the cool teen. Yeah, like, th- this is what I do. I'm not the responsible one. Like, I'm yeah. not supposed to be the responsible one. And then Stephen's, uh, Stephen's explanation of his, his weird stuff. Um... My dad and the gems grounded me from TV. Then I found out that the gems are alien rebels and there are other gems out there that want to, want us dead because they think we're traitors. And they tried to take me hostage because they think I'm my mum and maybe I kind of am. And I wish I could talk to Garner, Amethyst and Pearl, but I think they blame me for my mum not being around. The cool kids just stone face straight away. They're and they like, turn the music off. It's just like, like holy like, crap. Because their problems seem so like... Petty compared to Steven. Yeah, it's the moment I think they realise, like, oh, our problems aren't that big of a deal compared to that. Yeah. Also, I think it really nicely highlights that, like, 
the way that a lot of the things that have happened to Stephen is played off is like, ah, that's a silly situation. But it's suddenly like, oh yeah, tell anyone that's not one of the gems what's happening. They'll be like, oh, this is a lot for a teen, like a 13 year old to go through. That's pretty heavy. (laughs) And yeah, yeah. (laughs) it's nice that they recognize the severity of the situation Stephen's in and the weight on his shoulders, even if the adults in his life don't necessarily. It's a clever way to show that what has taken place does actually have an impact on Stephen by putting him next to other humans and basically saying like, hey, all this gem stuff that's going on is routine compared to like all the other gem stuff we keep seeing. But then compare it to normal even, human kids. Yeah, but even like really even like there. human young adults. Like Stephen is very definitely mm. a kid. He's on the kid end of this spectrum. Yep. Even the young adults <laughs> in his, his contemporaries that are older than him don't deal with anything mm. this severe. Yeah, which is a really nice contrast. I agree. It's also a nice way to show that Stephen is distressed about this whole. Um, you know, do the gems blame me for Rose not being here? Yeah. He clearly is. He's, he says it here it, that he is. Yeah, and it definitely, like, this is the seed that grows over the next couple of seasons yeah, of... Yeah, absolutely. Oh my goodness, this is a weight on me. Why am I not my mum? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's also really interesting because Stephen is very immature in a lot of ways, but having this burden and, like, not complaining about it because he doesn't want to, like, upset other people or explain how stressed he is about it is a really mature thing as well kind of like but i've got to deal with my own problems much like in full disclosure it's a child attempting to be mature in a way that's not necessarily healthy but it's the way that they perceive adults acting Mm. and assuming that that's the right thing to mimic Mm -hmm. it's kind of the evolution of serious steven yeah like no longer as kind of playful but actually having a more mature reaction to this stuff. Yeah. Um, so we get past this and they find Peridot's crashed ship out in a field. Um, I love that Sour Cream's reference point for how bright this glowing thing is, is um, that's that's so bright, like 600 glow sticks. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, we, we saw him like playing with the glow sticks before, didn't yeah, we? Yeah, he's... Um, episode. Yeah, he likes to throw out glow yeah. sticks. <laughs> glow sticks are cool, I can't blame him. I agree. I wish I had more glow sticks in my life. Um, we have a Kylo Ren sword glow stick upstairs, Mia. That's pretty cool. Okay. Maybe um, we need to get that out next time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so Stephen tries to explain how serious it is that this is Paradox ship. And the cool kids don't really get it. Like, yeah, he's trying to warn them, kind of being like, it's dangerous, leave it alone. He, he is, but he's talking about it, assuming that they'll <clears> understand like things like it's Peridot Ship, it's Gemtech from Homeworld, and he's using a lot of these terms not realising that his contemporaries don't know this stuff, mm. that they are oblivious to it, because he just assumes every kid must. Yeah, it's normal to him. Yeah. But to them, they have no point of reference for it. Well, like, Connie will understand it as well, so the only interactions that he gets with, like, the younger generations, they already know about it. Because mm. it's only Connie, that's his only other, like, child so, reference, yeah. and he she just knows. assumes everyone knows about the homeworld, gem war, etc. Yeah, I mean, something we see across the whole series, he doesn't protect other people from the knowledge of this stuff. Yeah. Like, he just, he freely talks about it and doesn't quite understand that he, to everyone else it doesn't... I think he just sense. assumes, like, they have a right to know because it's affecting them. Mm, yeah. Um... I do like that even though the, the though the cool kids don't entirely get it, once they get that, like, oh, this belonged to someone who doesn't like Earth, 
they go and kick it and throw rocks at it, and they're like, ah, Earth is cool, we like <laughs> Earth, go get away. Earth forever. Earth forever, indeed. <laughs> um, so, Jenny wants to take selfies with it, and Buck's initially like, eh, you know, sometimes I just like to be in the moment. He ends up wanting to be in the selfies anyway. Well, it says, and, and the lighting's weird. Yeah, I think eventually he just sees them having fun and he's like, nah, I, yeah. I don't want to be left out. Mm. I've got to make my point about how cool I am not wanting to be in selfies, but I also want to be in the selfies. Yeah. Um, this is quite a, a side note, but it only just occurred to me right now. I imagine that Buck's jacket and whole appearance is supposed to be based on uh, Rebel Without a Cause. Oh, I've never thought about that, that before. That only just clicked in the red oh, jacket and yeah. like, that whole look is... That's a really good point. That's and James Dean. But... Yeah, that is James <laughs> Dean. Oh, that's really cool, actually. I've never noticed that. <laughs> it just that, occurred to me then. Like, that I've... feels like a really deliberate design yeah, choice. Yeah, I'm sure it's deliberate. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to have to keep looking out for, for other James <laughs> Dean references <laughs> now. Um, so Stephen decides to pilot Paradox's ship because peer pressure from the cool kids and... Um, yeah, peer pressure is a good way to put it because he de- definitely does go from like, no, this is dangerous. We're not. I should to do take this. this back to the gems. I should let yeah. the gems know. I should. He wants to be responsible. That's his his default feeling mm-hmm. is that he should be responsible. But he he definitely has the moment when he swaps to being on their side and then like, yeah, let's have fun. Let's you yeah, know, do racing. You know, and... It's like let's let's jump over hay bales yeah. and stuff. <laughs> and then he accidentally locks himself in. Mm-hmm. Um. I have a question about when he gets himself locked in. What do you... Did you guys notice... He, he can seemingly breathe... In the toothpaste In the goop. toothpaste goop. Does but that first... tell us anything significant about the nature of the toothpaste goop or about Stephen? Well, at first he can. I think at first he assumes he won't be able to because it's a liquid. Yeah, he kind of like gasps and then he's kind of, he just goes back to breathing like normal and my, he's covering yeah, his toothpaste. My take on it is that he assumes it's water and he can't breathe it and he accidentally breathes it in and it's like, oh, I can breathe this in. Yeah. My take on it is it meant to be some sort of like safety thing where like it, if it's obviously it's an escape pod. So is it the equivalent of like an airbag? Yeah, but here's the thing. The gems don't need to breathe. That's a good point. So if this is an escape pod designed for gems, it wouldn't necessarily be designed to for the fluid yeah. to allow humans to breathe in. Because you've got to assume it's going to be some kind of heavily oxygenated liquid, if that works. Does this mean that Stephen doesn't necessarily need to breathe in future? Like, could it be that the toothpaste goop, as it is normally used to fix things, has... Like, fix Stephen not being able to breathe in the same way that gems can? Well, I do wonder, because when he's eventually in space, he doesn't bubble straight away. And he doesn't explode and die and suffocate in the vacuum of space. I do wonder if he's maybe more resilient of body than he realises. That perhaps the gems assume he has some of these human limitations, but perhaps he doesn't. That would be interesting. We know from when he goes inside Lion, he assumes mm. he can't survive yeah. without it. But may- maybe there's a moment when he actually runs out of breath and he'll, he'll he like doesn't gasp. And, yeah, that's. I'm curious to see if he'll ever breathe inside Lion. Yeah. It might be that he doesn't need to breathe. That would be interesting. Um, so yeah, that's a thing to watch out for. Um, the ship starts shooting lasers that Stephen can't control. The gems come to fight the ship, and. Garnet has a speech at this ship that, like, 
It's quite an intense speech that she has. Does anyone have any notes about this, or should I pull the thing up? I'll go for it. I don't have it written down, but I I know the bit. I don't have it to hand, but I know that I can find it if I look. Um, It's basically the whole kind of like, you lost, this is our planet. Leave us alone, we want to live in peace sort of thing. You've got a lot of nerve taking refuge here of of all places. Um, I don't know where you get off attacking defenceless humans in your deadbeat escape pod. And if you think you're safe here, well, I've got news for you. You lost. Now, stay off my planet. It's quite an intense speech she does. Like, she's very protective of Earth. Yeah, I mean, it shows how she feels towards Peridot at this point. Yeah. Like, post, kind of, you know, the Hand and Jasper and, like, everything. Yeah, you're terrible and you're defeated and we see no value in you and I'm going to knock you back into space. (laughs) And soon they're going to be best as best friends, but not quite yet. We're getting there. Um, But yeah, no, uh, Jenny runs in and stands in the way of the ship, and Garnet just about avoids hitting her. I think it's a nice moment. It shows that she's willing to put herself directly in harm's way to protect Stephen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, she definitely can see that Stephen's going to come to harm, and she's like, no, he doesn't deserve this. I'm going to try and save him. Yeah. It's, it's sweet. Like, they it's one... care about Stephen. It's... Yeah, it's, it's, they genuinely yeah. care about him to do that. It's one of the few times that we see a human stand up to the gems physically, knowing that like all the rumours that circulate around them being magic people. Because mm, here they clearly see them fighting. They know that this is real and yeah. this is a threat. And, and against Garnet as well. Garnet is a badass. It, yeah. it takes a lot of bravery to stand <laughs> up to a magic person that's about to punch you in the face. Um... So when the gems find out that Stephen's in there, they basically crack it open like an egg. And initially they're like, they're furious at at Stephen. They are disappointed and furious. They play the kind of disappointed, angry parents. You shouldn't have done this. Well, Garnet says that she's disappointed, Mm -hmm. which I think is actually quite mean because Stephen has done so much over the series to try and... Like, impress the gems and kind of be like, look, I am useful, I am good. So it, for her to be like, I'm disappointed in you, that would be soul-crushing it for It seems like every single individual interaction he has with the gems is treated as its own new test of, of whether he's doing the right thing or not. And mm. if there's one situation in which he doesn't do the perfect thing, he almost goes in their perception back to being a failure. Yeah. It's an impossible standard to hold him to. They're mm-hmm. treating him as a teammate and not yeah. as their child. Uh, or some, not as even just a trainee. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they're like, you found Peridot's escape pod and you didn't come get us immediately. We almost wrecked you. Stephen, this is unacceptable. I'm disappointed. I'm very disappointed in you. And Stephen's response is, you're right. Because he knew, like, he's like, yeah, I knew that I should have brought it back to you. That's what I thought. I got sucked in by the cool mm-hmm. kids, you know. I should have ignored the peer pressure and done it anyway, and I shouldn't have had fun. Yeah, he I shouldn't defend himself at all. Yeah, he's just like, I think that's because he, that's what he was going to do. And he, mm-hmm. kn- he knew that he changed his mind, and now he's getting shouted at for changing his mind. He's like, yeah, I yeah. probably should have stuck to my instincts. And... <laughs> Jenny Jenny shouts at him, um, cut him some slack, it's not his fault, and my favourite one from Sour Cream, <laughs> just let him be a DJ. I love it because it's like, there's that moment there with Jenny and it's like, oh okay, so they're using the gems as a stand-in for telling their own parents what they want to say to them. 
And then Sour Cream's lines like, yeah, they're definitely doing that. <laughs> yeah, he's not hiding that he's like venting his parental frustrations mm. on the gems. Yeah. Just Although, to be fair, like Stephen might make a good DJ, we don't know. <laughs> I could see that. Yeah. Um We just wanted Stephen to have some fun. I don't know what's going on with aliens trying to abduct him and him being his own mum, but it sounds like he's got a lot on his mind. <laughs> I'm sure whatever you're having him do is important, but everyone needs a break once in a while. He's just a kid. And I like that the gems do realise very quickly they're like, he he did just break us out of space jail. <laughs> that is quite intense like, for a child. Maybe maybe we cut him some slack. He did he did save us from space jail. Um and they, they end it by, they unground him from TV, mm-hmm. which, nice bit of continuity, because I completely forgot to this point that he was still grounded from TV. Yeah, which has been going on a while. Yeah. Well, they said it was for the next thousand years. Yeah, like, that's all the way back to meeting Connie's parents. That's when yeah. that came from. I, I like that they don't just let that fade away and he's watching TV again later, and it's like, oh, it's like, <laughs> yeah, like, at some point he got ungrounded. It's like, no, 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 we're going to explicitly yeah, unground him. Yeah, there's a specific him. moment when we know that he's ungrounded. Yeah. So, anything else you'd like to say about Joyride? That's it for me. Yeah, I just, I like the end of the episode. They all take selfies. And then yeah. they're all kind of playing around. As, and as Garnet and Pearl and Amethyst. Yeah, exactly. It too. Like they're all together, just kind of like goofing up. It's nice. Yeah, they have a nice little bit of fun. It's like, okay, maybe Stephen does need to have some fun every now and then because mm-hmm. we are putting a lot of pressure on him. Yeah. Um, so next up is an episode that Mia had never seen before nope. today. Uh, she's, oh, had you never seen it before either, Retta? Yep. Oh, okay. So next up is episode 55, Say Uncle. Um, now... Say Uncle, I believe, is an episode that both of you watched about two minutes of and then turned off. Basically, yes. So the episode starts and Stephen's trying to use his powers and he's struggling between the bubble and the shield. Yeah, he's trying to use the shield and the bubble's coming up and he's still struggling with control of his powers. And then seemingly Rose comes out of the ocean in this amazing stunning moment. Yeah, I remember me and you were both kind of like, eh? And, when that happens and then it's revealed that it's actually Uncle Grandpa from a completely yeah. different cartoon I think so, that's when we turned it off yeah at this moment I specifically remember watching this video and I, I think we stopped when he said don't worry it's not canon no at that moment I, like I, that. I turned to you at wow. that moment and said mm. I said okay I've heard there's this crossover do we want to watch this and we were like so, no here's the thing a lot of people ask me should I just skip the Uncle Grandpa episode? And it's a really tough one for me to answer because I know a lot of people skip it because basically it's a weird crossover with a show called Uncle Grandpa that is a very sort of um, it's lol so random humour yeah. um, kind of show. And at the beginning of the episode, Uncle Grandpa does say that the episode isn't canon. I disagree with that <laughs> because... This episode is weirdly important to Steven's character arc. Yeah, like, having watched this and then the next couple episodes, there absolutely seems to be consequences from what happens to Steven yeah. this episode. So, to very quickly, like, explain why people should watch this, um, if you completely skip this episode, what you miss is that at the start of this episode, and every episode running up to this, Steven doesn't have full control of his ability to summon his shield. By the end of this episode, Stephen can summon his shield reliably because he used... He he learned to summon his shield so he could protect Uncle Grandpa. <laughs> so, like, when we get... The, the thing that's weird if you skip this episode is later in this batch of episodes we get to um, 
Connie learning to sword fight um, in Sworn to the Sword, and Stephen is reliably summoning his shield. And if you skip on the Uncle Grandpa episode, at just at some point, Stephen learned to control his powers and there's no explanation for it. Mm-hmm. If you want to know why he can now control his powers, you have to watch a weird spin-off with <laughs> Uncle Grandpa, which is a really weird decision to make. It is, but... <laughs> Here's the thing. I expected to hate this episode. I really liked it. Do you see what I meant? Before we started watching it, I think what I said to to both of you was, it's an amusing enough episode to watch once that I don't ever need to watch again, mm-hmm. and I don't ever feel the need to go watch Uncle Grandpa itself. Like, No, yeah, that's the thing. I, I don't have any desire to watch Uncle Grandpa. Like, ten minutes of, of lol so random every now and then can be amusing. I don't need a whole show of that. Like, we're not going to be doing the the Uncle Grandpa cast. Probably not. (laughs) But the comedy in the episode mainly comes from seeing the gems dropped into this situation and seeing the show tech and amusingly kind of breaking the fourth wall kind of... But the gems are aware of the fourth wall breaks and (laughs) it it freaks them the hell out. Yeah, it's really bizarre. The the pacing of the humour is really spot on. It's very joke to joke to joke. Um, And the humour is surprisingly well written. Mm -hmm. I I laughed. I I thought this was genuinely funny. Yeah, so... um, Sadie and Laz are on a boat that sinks. uh, It's a Mm -hmm. ship. Yes, they're on a ship together and Uncle Grandpa fires a head cannon that sinks Sadie Liza's ship. His head cannon is that their ship shouldn't be a thing. Um, I like that. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff in this that, like, we'll we'll get to that in a sec that I don't know how much we should read into. Yeah. Um, So initially, like, what's weird is that Stephen implies he already knows who Uncle Grandpa is. He's like, yeah, of course, it's Uncle Grandpa. (laughs) It's never established how he knows who he is. No, this character who's, like, just popped into his universe. It's like, of course, it's Uncle Grandpa. Maybe he watches his show. That's what I thought. Is that reality TV to Stephen? Well, maybe. Maybe, because there's uh, Mr. Gus, I think, is the name of the character in Uncle Grandpa who implies that he has watched Steven Universe. He has a, a gem sonar yeah. that he's drawing. It's, it's super weird. So um, his head cannon sinks uh, Sadie and Lars' ship. Um, Uncle Grandpa says it's not canon by, like, this is canon, and gets a cannon out. Um, Amethyst is watching this from a distance, and she's just amused. She doesn't question this weird reality bending. She's just like, ah, it's... The, the gem is... The, each gem has kind of a different reaction to this. Amethyst is kind of just like, mm, I'll go along with this. Pearl is complete panic. Yeah, she's terrified because <laughs> this bends the order of reality. Garnet's reaction is more fatigue and she gets kind of yeah. bored of this. She literally says, I'm ready for this episode to end. Yeah, Pearl, Pearl tries to understand the logistics of Uncle Grandpa. Does it mean that this is Greg's brother and his father? That would explain a lot. <laughs> Do you re- does she really think that low of Greg? Yeah. Isn't it Garnet that says it, it would is. explain a lot? Yeah, so yeah. that is an incest Oh, sorry, yeah. Yeah. It's... And it's, it's like, yeah, I can see Greg being an inbred person because it's just like, that's really mean. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, because that would imply that, that Greg's mum had a child and then slept with yep. that child mm-hmm. and that Greg is the yep. child of that. <laughs> yeah, the phrase Uncle Grandpa is a really creepy thing to try and yeah. deconstruct for a kid's show, how someone would be your Uncle Grandpa. But no, 
He is everyone's Uncle Grandpa, apparently. And I'm not sure I'm cool with having an Uncle Grandpa. It's quite creepy. <laughs> um, it just reminds me of um, the creepy, like, incest people in True Blood. When it's like, tell Daddy Uncle Felton all about it. And it's like, <sighs> Yeah, that was a weird plot line. Yeah, so everyone's heads become huge and circle the earth. And the gems are aware that this is happening and they're freaking out. <laughs> yeah, they seem to, like, their heads are physically circling the earth. Yeah, and they're all terrified. Amethyst's head goes on backwards. Um, and Garnet's assumption is, we need to fight Uncle Grandpa because Uncle Grandpa is a powerful magical entity. Um, well, yeah, in, in the continuity of Steven Universe, Uncle Grandpa is technically the most powerful foe that they've ever encountered. Yeah, like he can literally, like he can escape reality through plot holes. Yes. He can do anything. I just want to mention the bee gun. It's um, the bees that chase him are the angry bees from the Future Vision yes. episode. Yeah, same one. It's the same weird yeah. magic bees. Um, so they run through a plot hole through a weird non-space between worlds Mm -hmm. and end up in an episode of Uncle Grandpa. Um, I like that Stephen's reference point for understanding what the hell is going on with Uncle Grandpa is to find a similarity with Greg. They both live on in in vans Mm -hmm. and they're rock stars. (laughs) Um, that's enough for me to trust you, I guess. Pearl panics so much when she sees Stephen and hanging out with a random old man. That's the, yeah. like, the great right response. Hell? Why are you hanging out with this stranger? Stranger danger. Yeah. I also like that it um, says crystal gems run away, like in a Mortal Kombat kind of yeah, it's, way. It's, like it's, it's very really, video game-esque. Yeah, like crystal gems versus Uncle Grandpa. Yeah. It says like crystal gems run away. Yeah. <laughs> So we get introduced to some of the Uncle Grandpa cast very quickly. Uh, we have Pizza Steve, the coolest piece of pizza there is. I assume these are normal Uncle I think Grandpa characters. I, I've seen one episode of Uncle Grandpa outside of this, uh, I think on a flight or something, and uh, Pizza Steve and Mr... What, Gus? Uh, Gus. Mr. Gus, uh, they, are, they are regular characters, as is the oddly realistic photo of a tiger. Yeah, that's... Whoever creates Uncle Grandpa, I think they must have come up with that idea on a bad drug trip or something. (laughs) Like, there's some weird shit going on. So, yeah, Mr. Gus is, like, some kind of crocodile dinosaur thing. um, With, like, a very deep baritone voice. Mm -hmm. um, Who clearly has watched every episode of Steven Universe and understands what Steven needs to do to better control his shield. He sounds like quite the fan. Yeah, he's he's probably the kind of person that we would invite to be a guest on the podcast <laughs> if you were a real person. If, if you're listening, Mr. Gus. Uh... <laughs> um, considering the weird fourth wall breaking that exists of Uncle Grandpa, I wouldn't be surprised if that voice actor would be just like, yeah, sure, I'll come be Uncle Gus. <laughs> oh, that would, be, that would I, be amazing. I would happily have Uncle Gus's voice actor come be a guest on the podcast. Yes, that's that's my long term goal for the podcast. We'll, we'll try and find whoever that is on Twitter and be like, "Do you want to do you want to be on the podcast sometime?" <laughs> um, but he points out that uh, Stephen's powers are innately maternal, and that in order to activate his shield, he needs to reach a state of emotional clarity um, and calmness. Yeah. So Paul is in the void, freaking the hell out. Understandably, they're in an endless void of white nothingness. Mm-hmm. Um, I just want to say, like, the tiger roars, and Uncle Grandpa says, I won't tell him that that only works on cats. Is he on about neutering? 
Because you're new to like male cats because it helps calm them down. Oh, I haven't thought about in, that, but. Oh, because it's meant to be about getting his emotions yeah. under control. Yeah, it's like, oh, you can't neuter Stephen because that's not well, how you, it works. You, 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 it might help. <laughs> probably yeah, like, shouldn't. I'm pretty sure it was a neutering joke. I, yeah, as soon as you've mentioned that, that, that makes so much it, more it sense. It does make sense. Um, <laughs> I, I also thought it was amusing that when Pizza Steve draws over... Mr. Gus's gem sauna. Oh, God. Yeah. Gus then says, why didn't you do that on a new layer? Which is a ridiculous Photoshop joke. Yeah. But again, like, how many kids are going to understand, like, Photoshop layers? <laughs> Probably not a huge <laughs> number. Um, so, Pizza Steve turns up in the void as Pizza Steven Universe. That's not my baby. <laughs> yeah, I, I find that really interesting. That's not my baby. Because that's... A lot more parental ownership than yeah, Pearl usually absolutely. takes over yeah. Stephen because she usually cares about Stephen in regards to Stephen being Rose. And usually, like I would have expected Pearl to shout, "That's not my Stephen." Mm. I think it plays into the her persona this episode, which yeah. is that she's panicked and completely riddled. Yeah, and, panic. and it's it's nice that when she's panicked and at her most vulnerable, she does innately see Stephen as a child to be protected yeah. rather than innately seeing him as Rose. Yeah, because she's... The like, reason she's stressed out is yeah. because it's Stephen. That Deep down, him. she does get that Stephen isn't Rose. Um, or at least in this moment, she seems to. Um, in this non-canonical episode, when they're in the space between universes. <laughs> yes. Um, Garnet is ready for the episode to end, which I think is meant to mimic a lot of people who are probably watching this crossover not enjoying yeah. it. Um Stephen's shield reliably appears in order to save Uncle Grandpa. And then we get a speech from Stephen that it's it's about not hurting Uncle Grandpa, but it's kind of relevant to the series going forward. Mm. Yeah, to do with the corrupted gems and stuff and centipedal and everything is what popped Um, into my mind immediately. Yeah, where is it? Um... We've uh, we've never met anyone like uh, we've never met anyone like Uncle Grandpa, but you could substitute in we've never met anything like Centipedal, etc. You can't just attack people you don't understand. You have to stick up for them and listen. You guys always do that for me. Um, yeah, it's. I think that's the 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 thread I took away from this. Is this? It, it's the thing that comes up again when Stephen's trying to train Centipedal. Um, when we have that Roadrunner-ish episode later with Peridot, it's Stephen's ability to be like, hey, just because you don't understand someone or something doesn't mean you should attack them to solve the problem. Yeah. Try and understand them, yeah, even if they're a it, bit different to you and they're a weird Uncle Grandpa. Yeah, and it happens over and over again, like even just the last episode when Stephen was in the toothpaste ball thing and they immediately attack it. Yeah, They're the, not like, what do you want? It's just immediately... Go the, to hitting the gems and first it. reaction to something new is usually to try and yeah. attack it. Yeah, hit first, ask questions mm-hmm. later. Yeah. Um, I do like the ending message that Uncle Grandpa <laughs> leaves the episode with. <laughs> Surprisingly responsible. Yeah. Um, where is it? Remember, kids, don't afraid, be afraid to be super weird. Stephen and I have got your back. And that's a really <laughs> sweet yeah. message to give kids of, like, don't be afraid to be different. Your favourite TV... Like, these TV characters, you're like... They'll, they're yeah, weird too, exactly. and that's okay. Yeah, exactly. I love that. Yeah. It was very, very cute. So, like, 
basically the big takeaway from this episode is Stephen now has the ability to reliably summon his shield. Mm-hmm. Uh, with, considering this is your first time watching it, I want to hear what you both think. Like, what else do you have to say about this episode? I Like I said, I genuinely enjoyed it. I thought it was funny. I thought the humour was well-timed. It's kind of ridiculous, and I think it is something that they shouldn't and haven't done again. Yeah, we don't ever need no, another of this. It, it works because it's so different from everything else. But I liked it. Like, I'll actually, I, I didn't. won't watch it again. You didn't like it? Okay, no. Why not? <laughs> it was just so bloody random. It, there's a lot of, um, like, animated shows which are kind of like, oh, but we're awesome because we're so random. It's, and I'm just not into that and it's it's a lot of like mid 2000s like internet humor yeah. where it's like the more random we can be the funnier we are and yeah. i'm not going to judge that too harshly because being a teenager in the mid 2000s i absolutely loved yeah. lol so random humor mm. um, i never did i've never been a fan of it like the pacing of this like i was trying to think of like what internet media it was it reminding me of and I don't know if either of you ever watched the ASDF movies uh, which was like it's a weird it it was by a creator I think called Tom Scar um, who's fairly popular animator on YouTube but it's I'm I'm not very kind of that's 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 like I'm sure there'll be people listening that will be aware of it that will mm. be like oh yeah that's what you're on about but it's it's the very much like let's be super duper fast and make a bunch of weird random internet jokes mm. and you know yeah. it's I'm, it's enjoyable maybe once for ten minutes but I don't need more of that I I get that I like honestly as I was saying like the humor for me mainly comes from seeing the gems in the situation it's the yeah. absurdity of taking these semi-serious characters yeah. and putting them in absolute it's, nonsense. It's the fact we have a, a grounded reference point of characters that are like, this is what's what the hell's going on. Yeah, like, these are not the rules of this world normally. But I certainly can't blame you, Retta, for not enjoying it, because <laughs> ooh, this episode is a quiet It was okay taste. for, like, the first three minutes or so. Like, I was kind of yeah. like, eh, and then I, I was like, this I do is think, getting old fast. I do think the second half of the episode is, is yeah. weaker. I think, I think you could have cut down, like, if they didn't have to have it a set length, they probably could have cut, like, half of the content, in, uh, content from Uncle Grandpa's RV. Yeah, I think, like, this... Like, this probably would have worked best as a five-minute yeah. length shot. I, yeah, I, I think, think if you'd taken 11, 11 minutes down to, say, like, seven, probably would have worked a lot better. Like, yeah. the less dead air and the more concise you can make this one, the better it would have gone. Mm. I also find it hilarious that Amethyst ate pizza, Stephen. Yeah, apparently he's dead. Yeah, I don't know if that... Like, if you watch Uncle Grandpa normally, can you tell us, is that canon? <laughs> Did Probably Pizza not. Steve exist up to this point where the crossover happened and no longer exists? <laughs> I did see that apparently one of the creators on Twitter, when this episode was coming up, said that Stephen and Pizza Steve were going to swap places permanently going forward. Oh, <laughs> God. <laughs> like, uh, as a joke, that this was going to be kind of the moment where the universes intersect and then there are lasting consequences in both shows. I'm... S- <laughs> I'm glad that's not the case, I guess. Um, there were lasting consequences in that Stephen can now summon his shield, and I guess if Pizza Steve is now eaten forever, that's a permanent consequence. <laughs> that's true. Uh, another thing I found kind of amusing is the end of the episode implies that 
like all the Cartoon Network shows exist in the same multiverse, mm-hmm. and the Uncle Grandpa has been and will continue to visit these universes. Yeah, because he's like shouting up, isn't he? It's the advert yeah. saying what's coming up next. Well, I mean, like he's got the book, which is like yeah. Eddie and Eddie are in it, like Powerpuff Girls. Yeah, because he's like, oh, who do we visit next? As I understand it, I don't believe the prior ones on the list were crossover episodes that did exist, but the one that he was going to next, Clarence, Clarence I believe there is a crossover episode oh, okay. for. So I think that. At least that was meant to tease that the Clarence crossover was the next one. crossover they were going to have. Okay. Um, so even just beyond being a joke, that actually had like a practical yeah. consequence. I, I think we can, we did completely forget to mention that the the like com- coming up next Uncle Grandpa flashback <laughs> to the first episode of the show where like Uncle Grandpa's like. Hey, there's this new cartoon show happening. <laughs> it's like in universe that took place. He was actually there yeah, watching. It was that. the cookie cat thing, wasn't it? When he was like, yeah. he was starting to sing it. And he went, oh, it was funnier the last time. Yeah, I do wonder, and I need to look this up. Whether when Steven Universe Ed, episode one first aired on Cartoon Network, did, was there an Uncle Grandpa mm. thing? Did I that actually that, happen yeah. the first time? I'm curious. I suspect it did. Probably. Probably. Um, so, yeah, anything else you'd like to say about Say Uncle? I'm done. <laughs> I'm done. Somehow we've taken 50 minutes to talk about those two episodes. Um, I'd say, when, when like, we knew we were going to watch the Uncle Grandpa episode, yeah. I thought, oh, we'll breeze through Yeah, it's like, yeah, we'll, we can do six episodes this week because we'll breeze through Uncle yeah, Grandpa. No. Oh, we, we underestimated how much we'd have to say. Uh, so next up is episode 56, Love Letters. Who wants to start us off on this one? Should I no start one. us? Okay, fine. Um, so it starts off with Connie and Stephen trying to take a selfie with a camera phone that doesn't have a front-facing camera. So they get a really bad selfie because they're trying to take it without being able to see the screen. I was screen. confused at first. I was like, did they just not understand? And I was like, oh, okay, just it has no front-facing camera. Yeah, which... That, that was certainly an era where phones did have rear cameras but not front cameras. Yeah. And... I do remember trying to do that with yep. friends, trying to yep. do the, like, did we did we get it? Did <laughs> yeah, we get uh, it? Uh, oh, it's a shoulder. Never mind. Yeah. I don't know if that's maybe meant to suggest that if this is Connie's phone, maybe it's Connie's old. Connie's parents haven't replaced her phone because she doesn't need a new one. This yeah. one works fine. That seems in character for that. Yeah. But they're just like, no, it works perfectly fine. Mm. You don't need a new one. They're very pragmatist parents. <laughs> yeah. She's also not wearing her glasses in the photos are hooked on her shirt. Yeah, as we see, whenever she's with um, Stephen, she doesn't bother wearing them. Yeah, which is odd that, like, it, it implies that she never intends to show these pictures to her parents. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're personal. She does wear them once, though, in um, the sword one. When they're doing sword training, at one point she goes in and she is wearing the frames. I do wonder, did she get dropped off that day by her parents or something? Yeah, so I don't know, because she keeps them. them on while she's training. Yeah, possibly. And I was like, that's an odd choice, but okay. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll get to that anyway. Um, so the postman turns up, who's not been around for a while, uh, Jamie the postman, mm-hmm. who aspires to be a thespian slash movie star. Um, apparently, like, Stephen's not been getting post the whole time that Jamie hasn't been here, <laughs> because... Most of the postmen don't know about Stephen's weird house on the beach. Yeah, so it's just been filling up in a giant cell. Yeah, like clearly this house was like built off the grid a bit. It's not an mm. official address that no. exists on a road. I find it odd that no one asked Greg. Because we see later on that Sadie's mother, when she takes over, she just asks Greg. Yeah, but it's like, no oh, that's not Greg's post. <laughs> uh, 
considering that Greg doesn't live with Stephen, it might not be inherently obvious that... Oh, I suppose I get yeah. it. Okay. What it pro- I'm, I'm like filling in the blanks in my head. Go now. ahead, yeah. <laughs> I imagine what happened is whoever took over the post doesn't know Stephen. Yeah. But then it, when Jamie stops doing it and Sadie's mother takes over, she's probably like, oh, that's Stephen. I know Stephen. He's yeah. Greg's son. So then goes to Greg. Yeah. And that's yeah. how she finds out where the house is. Exactly. I answered my own question. You answered your own <laughs> question. Um so Garnet's been underwater searching for Malachite, I think, yes. mm-hmm. um, and we Jamie instantly falls head over heels in love at first sight. It's the James Bond Doctor No kind of walking out of the ocean. Thing. Yeah, um, I just want to mention um, when Stephen is like pressing down on his knuckles, like he's cracking his knuckles, and Connie says. Your knuckles are so quiet, and Stephen replies, my hands are polite. (laughs) It is a very Stephen thing to Mm -hmm. do. So, like, half of the post that Stephen's missed has been basically sea monkeys. Mm -hmm. Um, First of all, I think think it's really sweet that he ordered some and they didn't turn up, so he just kept ordering them. (laughs) He didn't think to question, like, I'll go to the post office and find out what happened. (laughs) Just keep trying. Just keep trying. Eventually it'll work. Um, But he didn't buy them because he wants to, like, have a farm of sea monkeys. (laughs) He just wanted to to free them into the ocean. that's all he wanted to do. He, He just wanted to, like take these creatures that were, like, packaged up and free them to the wild. They belong to the sea, so I will return them to the sea. (laughs) I don't know if sea monkeys can survive in salt water. Probably not. He's probably, in his, like, misguided attempt to free them... They come from the sea. Indeed. Well, they are called sea monkeys. Exactly. But I think they're freshwater, um... I think so. I don't know, um, I never had them. Brine shrimp? I think they're brine shrimp or something. They're the tiny, tiny thing. Yeah, and my cousin had some, but I never had them myself. I think they're freshwater, which I think means that Stephen's attempt to return them to the ocean would probably kill them. Probably. Um, At least they're tiny, so we'd never know. So Jamie comes back and he delivers a love letter to Garnet. Um, By the way, I hope that it's only um, Jamie's point of view that is skewing this, but Garnet so. looks really sultry when, I like, and she's like, point. "Oh yeah." I mean, it's what this whole episode is about. It's about taking, like, making a message out of something that's not there. Mm, My yeah. take on the, this episode, whenever we get those shots of Garnet, where she looks kind of all glamorous. My take on that is that's not how she actually looks. It's We're seeing how, it's how Jamie's James seeing her and he's yeah. kind of putting meaning on her that's not there. Yeah. So you know what it's time for quickly when uh, when Jamie leaves. Okay, I'm ready. It's time for the Aspie jingle. <laughs> and this time okay, I'm gonna lead into it this time, we won't do in future. Someone made us the jingle. I need to Give me a second while I, I play for time because I closed the email and I want to have... I want to, like, name shout out to the person that sent this to us. It's an exceptional jingle. Yeah. So in a second you're going to get a jingle and in future we'll just use this jingle when it comes up. Come on, email inbox. Um, Andrew Milne... Um, just a sec. I'm just checking that that's how they want to be credited. Um, oh, um... Their music, their musicy name is Zip Durango. That's so, a good music. Yeah, name. Zip Durango. Thank you very much for the autistic spectrum jingle. Potentially autistic spectrum behaviors depicted in Steven Universe. So this is the bit of the show where I routinely talk about potential autistic spectrum traits and characters in Steven Universe because. That seems to be an oddly recurring theme. Um, mm-hmm. 
Stephen, uh, Jamie, rather than expressing his feelings for Garnet verbally, writes them down, hands them to be given to Garnet, and then runs away, flapping his arms. Mm -hmm. This, This is not necessarily an autistic spectrum trait thing, but I definitely got weird vibes of it that way. I could see it. It's the, it. it's the I feel more comfortable explaining my feelings by writing them down and not having to do them face-to-face with mm-hmm. words. Mm-hmm. Now I'm going to run away excitedly flapping my arms. Yeah. So there we go. More possible autistic spectrum traits. Um, Garnet isn't into Jamie because she's already in a relationship. Yep. And Stephen says she is a relationship. Yep. I, I like that this is really obvious to Stephen. That mm. Stephen straight away is like, of course you're already a relationship, why would this, you know, be a thing? Yeah, there's nothing vague about it whatsoever. Yeah, he's, he's very respectful and aware of the fact that, like, okay, you're a relationship, of course you wouldn't be mm-hmm. interested in dating anyone else. I assume that we can we can use this to, to make the, the sentence I didn't think I would have to put in my notes today. Garnet is not interested in polyamorous relationships. <laughs> yeah, that's what I wrote. She, she is definitely uh, a monogamy kind of gal. Yep, yeah, she says so. three's a crowd. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, the way I've written it is, she ain't poly. Exactly, Garnet ain't poly. Uh, unlike the diamonds later on that I still believe are being implied to be a poly, yes, a poly yes, relationship. I remember that conversation. Yeah, we'll get there eventually. I think the diamonds are going to end up being like some kind of poly triad or something. Yep. But Garnet... Garnet's like, nah, monogamy's for me. Um, Garnet's response to Jamie, an <laughs> O, period. It's Duh. pretty blunt. Yep. It's good. <laughs> it's good because I think that it goes along with the message of this episode, which is that at no point is Garnet even remotely interested whatsoever. She's just yeah. flat out like, no. But equally, she's not trying to hurt his feelings. She just wants to be direct. She doesn't want to give him the wrong impression. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, again, she's she's very much like not trying to... She's not thinking about his feelings. She's just trying to be like, I'm being honest about how I feel. There you go. Yeah, it's um, a simple solution to the problem. Yes. And she'll see how it'll turn out anyway with future vision. So that I think that's why she wanted to be so blunt and clear to ensure that what happens wouldn't happen. I I disagreed with that reading. I think that she doesn't know Jamie well enough to be able to future vision him very well. Okay. I got the impression that she doesn't quite know how this is going to play out because not only is Jamie a human and they're weird and unpredictable, but also Jamie is an unknown, an unknown human. Yeah. Okay. I don't um, know because I assume like in wars and stuff she'd be able to predict what the other army would do yeah but I think a lot of that was down to the fact that gems had a really rigid class structure and like specific gems were for specific purposes mm. acted specific ways did specific things which probably made them easy for her to predict even if she'd not met them mm. that's yeah, my read on like her role in war which is I don't know like I'm not saying mine yeah. is inherently like a better view of it but that's just <laughs> The way I saw it yeah. is that gems are predictable by nature of the fact that Homeworld encourages them to be what they're told to be, whereas humans are a lot more unpredictable. I like that reading because it means that when Homeworld was fighting the Crystal Gems, their 
kind of um, aversion to individuality was actually working against them and that they were easy to predict. Exactly. And, like, Homeworld probably had sapphires employed to try and predict what the Crystal Gems would do. Yeah, but and they're hard to predict. Yeah, they weren't working because, you know, the Crystal Gems are ignoring what they're told to do. I like that. I never thought of that, but that's, that's good. I like it. Um, so, yeah... Stephen and Connie go to deliver this blunt letter to Jamie, who explains that one more rejection would have shattered my fragile heart. (laughs) I wonder if this is him being manipulative to Connie and Stephen to try and get them to go and talk to Garnet so that he doesn't get rejected again. Possibly. I... That's interesting. I hadn't assumed that he knew what was going on. Like, I think... I felt like he was optimistically hoping that Garnet would be interested, but maybe mm. optimistic, but not believing it would happen, maybe? I Which don't know. W- would go with that. It would be like, oh, she couldn't possibly be interested in me, but she must be, because otherwise she'll break my heart. <laughs> yeah, I, I like your thinking there, that maybe he was doing it to try and manip- be manipulative. Or mm. not to try and be manipulative, but unwill- uh, unknowingly being manipulative. Yeah. I do like how he's dramatically looking into the ocean. And he just said, you come here to stare into the ocean and think about life too? <laughs> Is that not what everyone does? I'll admit, it's, I, I have done that. Doesn't Ronaldo say something similar in full disclosure? Up kind on the of, cliff top? Yeah, on the cliff. I think so. And he's, he's like, oh, do you come here to... To, to brood. Brood as well, yeah. <laughs> I like the idea that all the citizens of Beach City have their own places that they go mm-hmm. to be dramatic. Um, so Connie and Stephen decide to rewrite the letter and uh, Connie's reference point for romance is she learned about it from watching sordid love dramas Um, you can tell from her very flowery over the top language indeed and basically the problem is in in trying to let him down gently they end up not being clear enough Mm -hmm. and he misinterprets it as a weird metaphor for how in love with him Garnet yeah. is. But Stephen does also add, you have nice hair. Yes, I think that's <laughs> the the biggest problem is like you don't end it on a compliment of of their appearance with no yeah. context. Um so Jamie misunderstands, he turns up in the rain like, I love you, Garnet and Stephen's like, go away please, don't don't let Garnet know that you did this. Um and Sadie's mum ends up having to take over the mail because Jamie's heartbroken. Um, the weird kissy face that Jamie does at Garnet, though, when he's like, come here, my love. My, my, my scorching sc- sun. My scorched sunbeam. Um, so Garnet, Garnet goes to talk to Jamie herself. And clearly, like, talking to people, or to humans about emotions is not her strongest suit. But she definitely tries to do it anyway. I think it's cool here that she seems to know how to let him down in a way that is as blunt as she has to be, but also so that he'll not only understand it, but that he gets a little something from it. Yeah. She says, oh, you must be a really good actor to to have done this. She she tries to give him hope in general while shifting attention away from herself. Um, Yeah, because he's very... He's very love in first sight. Um, I've loved you since the moment I saw you. Love at first sight doesn't exist. Love takes time and love takes work. At the very least, you have to know the other person and you literally have no idea of who or what I am. 
clearly a reference to you have no you don't even know enough to know that I'm already a relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do think it's interesting. Didn't Ruby and Sapphire fall in love at first? I was like, kind that, of, kind of. <clears throat> One thing that I also thought that maybe Garnet thinks that love at first sight doesn't exist because gems look the same. Like everyone of a specific type of gem looks the same. Yeah. Until you have a conversation with you one of them, know. you yeah. don't know them. Yeah, possibly. So I think that's why she says it, because like, you can't have love at first sight. If everyone looks the same. Yeah, yeah, like if you're like, oh, I love Ruby, and it's like, oh, but there's uh, 350,000 rubies that all look identical. Yeah. But, but, but I bloom for you like a, a camellia under the moonlight. No, you don't. <laughs> She's very blunt. Um... You make a very convincing lovesick fool. You convince these children. You even convinced yourself. You're a fantastic actor. Start with local theatre. <laughs> it's it's really sweet. And Jamie's takeaway is like, yeah, I'm, I'm okay. That was some solid advice. Um, I do think that's a really good choice. In that not yeah. only to have Gannett say all this stuff, but to have Jamie's reaction to accept it. It's they could very easily have turned this into the kind of creepily comedic ongoing. Oh, he's obsessed with her. But yeah. they choose not. To no, do it. it's they like oh, you were clear that you didn't like like being clear that you don't like someone, and their response just being like, okay, you were clear with me. Thank mm-hmm. you. I'm I'm okay. Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's a, nice. A really strong message. Yeah, don't don't be creepy if yeah. someone tells you they're not into you. Mm-hmm. Just accept that because they might already be a relationship. Yep. <laughs> and um, it's. Like, it's a message that I wish more people took on board. This is why, like, Steven Universe, it tells really good messages. Yeah, like, I witnessed situations like this an uncomfortable amount of yeah. times. When it's like... I have been part of situations like that an uncomfortable amount yes. of times. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah. it's like, no, thank you! <laughs> yeah, like, you don't like me, you like the idea of me. Yeah. And you're being very disrespectful. You get that a lot, being nerd girls. Because mm-hmm. there's a lot of people like, oh my god, but you like video games too? Yeah, I, I and it's it. like you like the idea of that. You know nothing about me. Don't I, pretend. I get a depressing amount of that being yeah. like visible online. It's like, oh, oh, a lot of people yeah. that, that assume they know who I am. I'm like, yeah, yeah, you really don't. I've been getting more as kind of my presence grows I guess I did get the whole um, you're not like other girls and I was like oh guys actually say about this yeah no that happens um, also my, my favourite weird ones are the ones where like someone will message you being like um, you're, you're amazing I love you and then tweet you a picture of their genitals that's yeah. weird <laughs> I've had that one that's like no, no, no if you knew anything about me you'd know that I don't want your unsolicited <laughs> genitals in my inbox yeah I never understand that it's, it's like what What do you expect me to do with that that's like, the most beautiful penis I've ever seen I am in love with you now <laughs> like wow that's a very interesting one can I see more you have a portfolio <laughs> Yeah. Can I see like some artsy angles, maybe some t- sepia yeah. tone shots? Like some nice lighting, maybe? Maybe on a cushion? <laughs> it reminds me of one of Bob Burnham's songs where one of the lines in it is, You may think your dick is a gift, I promise it's not. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, anything else we want to say about that episode? No, I'm good. Uh, next up, oh, I skipped past one in my notes. Next one is episode 57, Reformed. Um, starts with a lot of talk about which of the Steven Universe cast are which characters from the Crying Breakfast Friends. Um, 
Stephen is sniffling croissant, which I assume is meant to be a reference to later on his ability to sympathise with blue gems that cry a lot. He he very much yeah. sympathises with sad sadness. It's quite amusing because it has like a blue filter thing over it as well. Like it's not the full colour picture of mm. it when it shows it. It is like a blue. Yeah, um, definitely hinting at blue gems being significant. Um, Pearl. Pearl is Weeping Egg Cup, who is neurotic and uptight. Uh, yeah, that fits. Greg is Pining Grapefruit, the sensitive older one who wishes he were a better role model. That's quite these sad. Are, these are very on-point yeah. kind of sad descriptions of these characters. I want to watch a show that has these characters, though. Like, it, like I want to watch a show about sad breakfast fr- foods that are basically the cast of Steven Universe. Yeah, in, in the context of it being this kind of subtle commentary on Steven Universe. Yeah, I, I would watch an episode of Crime Breakfast mm-hmm. Friends. I'm down for that. Um... So, a bit of continuity we get early on. They're fixing the van still after uh, the season finale, where mm. things were going wrong with the van. I like that Pearl's helping out with the fixing yeah, the van. Yeah, I thought that was notable as well. Like, the relationship has obviously improved somewhat since where it started. Yeah. Greg is aware that, like, oh, when Pearl last worked on my van, she did a really good job of it. I could probably fix my van myself, but Pearl's really good at this. I should ask her for help. Yeah, she's a And good that she's, she's willing to help because she knows, oh, I, can, I have fun doing this. Yeah. So it's nice that they've got a bit of a bond mm. going on. It's a while before we get our episode where they properly bond. Yeah, but... they deal with, like, the elephant in the room. Sort of thing. Yeah, but they're, they're getting there. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the questions that Amethyst gets asked as part of this um, Crying Breakfast Friends quiz. Um, are you insecure and uh, obsessed with what other people uh, think of you and how they perceive you? Yeah, it's amusing because you can see the questions that kind of hit a nerve with her. That she doesn't want to answer. Yeah, when she's like, oh yes, that is me, but I don't want to admit that's me. Yeah, don't want to acknowledge weakness. Mm-hmm. Um, Garnet is spilt milk, stern but practical. <laughs> <laughs> These are all very good descriptions mm-hmm. of our cast. Um, so there's this thing called the slinker. Any thoughts on the slinker? I, I love how they kind of very naturally mention, oh, Stephen's name stuck. Like, yeah. We don't see Stephen name it, but it's mentioned that this, this Stephen came up with the name of the Slinker, which is a gem that's broken free mm-hmm. in the temple. And it's like slithering and burrowing holes yeah. and stuff. It's very Stephen to go and name something like that. Yeah. And it, you'd be hard-pressed to dissuade Stephen of a name he's picked, <laughs> mm-hmm. which is probably why his name stuck. I've just written down like a little joke that I made to myself during the episode, which is um, that... You know, because I always say that the different gem rooms are different body parts. Mm-hmm. I've written that Amethyst Place must be the butt because it's full of shit. <laughs> I could understand that. Well, your stomach, maybe. I thought stomach more. <laughs> it's where all, all the yeah. crap ends up there eventually, mm-hmm. you know. Everything, yeah. I don't know, because a lot of it is just junk stuff that she's just keeping there for no yeah. reason. I think, like, genuinely, I think it could be the stomach. Yeah. Is it's it either the, the stomach room? or the butt. It's some part of the digestive system. Because yeah. stuff Probably. always falls into there from the other mm. room. And also, she she's the one that eats, therefore it makes sense for hers to be the digestive mm-hmm. tract of the place. So the slinger pops up and poofs Amethyst, and initially Stephen is worried that much like Pearl, this is going to be two weeks before he gets Amethyst back. Yeah. One thing I just want to mention that happens just before that 
is when Garnet fires off her hand things, the stumps that she has that are wrists have her gems on either side. Oh, I didn't notice that. Yeah, yeah. the stumps have the gems. She doesn't fire mm. off the gems with the hands. It's That makes a lot of sense, actually. Like, the fists are not created from the gems. Yeah. The gems yeah. are actually in the wrist. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. Um, so, Amethyst very quickly reforms. She rushes it a bit. Um, she yeah. now has feet for hands. She grew a few feet. <laughs> I do like that joke. Yeah, we get some kind of law here about um, gems reforming. Mm. The idea that they take longer because they're kind of taking the time and energy to to, to restock and decide what they want to do. Yeah, and... but because Amethyst hates self-reflection, she yes. rushes it. Whereas Pearl is so detail-oriented that it takes her forever. Mm. Um, well, she also says that she wanted to come back fast for Stephen because she didn't want to disappoint her biggest fan. Because Stephen was crying. Yeah, That's she's true. she's very conscious of other people and what's important to them rather yeah. than what's important to her. Yeah. It's like, oh, Stephen's sad, I'll come back rather than mm. I need time before I can come back. She doesn't think about her own needs. Yeah. Uh, so she gets poofed again very quickly coming back as Pearl because her first transformation to having hands gone it's very like no 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 um uh, Amethyst listens to what Garnet says and takes the wrong messages away because the first time she comes back with the feet hands it's like like Pearl you need to take a little more time to be careful and like form properly so Amethyst's takeaway is I should be Pearl she's kind of acting out a bit yeah. Well, it's a really exaggerated version of Pearl as yeah. well. Like, the hair is really long, and the shoes are so pointy that they're kind of, like, trailing behind her. Yeah. And the bow on the back is, like, as big as she, she is. She she comes back as Pearl as if Pearl is what she should be, but she then proceeds to mock Pearl. Mm. Um, mocks her obsessive tendencies, her fanciness, her need for validation. Yeah, she's not... Um, She's not chosen this farm out of sincerity or any She's actual... She's done it to be like, oh, look, I'm being what you taught me to be. I'm being perfect, except I'm not perfect. Yeah, yeah she's like the kind of bratty teenager, like, acting out. Yeah. Um, so Garnet says something to the effect of, um, you need to think carefully about your form um, because we as a team need to be strong. She talks about strength of team in terms of everyone being happy with themselves enough that they can be a good team. Yeah, like you're weakening the team by doing this. Yes, and Garnet's take, uh, Amethyst's takeaway is I'm not physically strong enough. So next time she poofs, she comes back with one really strong lopsided arm <laughs> and one really strong lopsided leg. Yeah, I. One thing that Amethyst does say is my form is my business. Yeah. Which I really like, because that's basically Amethyst saying, I can look however the hell I want, that's my choice, yeah. not yours. like my fashion, my body, my presentation yeah. is for like, me to decide. That's, yeah. that's what she's acting Don't tell me what I should be. Don't tell me what I have to wear, Mom. <laughs> yeah, but it, it's kind of nice, because that, that's still a relatable thing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like, I think so many people can relate to that. Mm-hmm. It's kind yeah. of like, you can't tell me what I am, I know what I yeah. am. So, Garnet's critical of this new form... And I think it's really telling the exchange she has, uh, that Amethyst and Garnet have. You're the one who said I needed to be stronger. Garnet never said she needed to be stronger. She said that the team needed to be strong. And she very much, like you can see, this is a perfect example of Amethyst reading into things that were never explicitly said. And yeah. 
assume everything that's said she assumes is about her being insufficient. Yeah, because a criticism of her abilities. And that she needs to be something different because she's not good enough as she is currently, Mm -hmm. which is a long-running thread for Amethyst. Um, I was thinking, so I don't know if my reading was correct, but um, Gannett says that this form that she takes on with the kind of muscles, it's not sustainable. Mm. Is that because... Amethyst is naturally small, so therefore yeah. she has less to work with. She she's trying to force herself to have more mass than the, is yeah, inherent for her, and, for her. Yeah, yeah. But that's not something stable. Mm. That was my reading. I just wanted to check. It. I think so. Yeah. I think there's like a limited amount of light projection they can do, and to try and stretch beyond that unnecessarily is a bad idea. Yeah, yeah. That was my I saw it as kind of like the whole shape shifting thing. How it's not sustainable in the long run. Like you can only have it for a while. Yeah. yeah. Um, Amethyst wants to be what other people um, other people want her to be rather than thinking inward about herself because thinking inwards about what she wants is scary. This is really similar to Stephen. Yeah. It's I want to be what everyone else expects me to be and I'm afraid to think about what I want because that's not what everyone else wants. Well, what Amethyst shouts is I'm being what you want. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So she eventually pops again and... This time she takes her time. Or taking her time for Amethyst anyway. Four hours, but that's still like a decent amount of time to self-reflect. It's underlined that for her it's an unusually long amount of time. She's she's taking her time. Mm. Um, And when she comes back, she no longer is lopsided. Um, She has a new outfit... And I like that this is... They do keep it canonical, so when outfit changes happen for characters, it's because they poofed and reformed. Yeah. Um, and carries on going forward. Yeah. Um, she got rid of the lopsided shoulder on her outfit that had been... A, the shoulder strap that had been annoying Pearl. Do we think that was a deliberate choice of, I know this annoys Pearl and I don't want to annoy Pearl, so it'd be no, it would be a nice thing for me to fix that? Possibly. I it read might... the... Oh, sorry, Mia. That's Turn okay. Around. You go first. It might be um, her kind of being like, like maybe she only added that originally to annoy her. That's yeah. my reading. My take on it is yeah. that the form that she has at the end of the episode is what she wants for herself. Yeah. Her old form that we've seen her in, the strap is because she's like, ah, I know this will this annoy Pearl. I really like that reading and that's really sweet. That... Because it, it ties yeah. out. I mean, no, go, go, go. Um, it ties into what they then say, which I really, really like, when Amethyst says that this form just feels right. Yeah. And again, it says that's why it's perfect. Exactly. Which is a great moment because it's saying that Amethyst is just being herself at last. She's not thinking about what other people want her to be. Yeah, she's not trying to be something else or she's not doing something for someone else. And that's the thing that Garnet really likes. Like, Garnet reinforces that idea of like yeah just be being yourself is what we want you from from you that's it mm-hmm. exactly um it, it this new form is perfect and uh, just it's just what feels right that's why it's perfect and and amethyst gets oh, all embarrassed to yeah, hug just again. knock it off um no it's it's hug time and amethyst is like yeah this is dumb but it's it's lovely like, this is a really nice one of just, like, being yourself, that's the important thing. Yeah, I think it's notable that they end the episode on that kind of conclusion, and they don't bother to show us dealing with the slinker. 
Which I think is yeah. good because this episode isn't about there is a gem yeah. loose in the temple. The episode is about amethyst and certain insecurity, and that's the story that's dealt with. The, the important one. Yeah. It's nice that that's the thread they decide to, exactly. to end on. Yeah. It's like, we'll, we'll deal with the slinker off screen. This was a vector for us to explore Garnet and yeah. uh, Amethyst's sense of self. Because they could have very easily flipped it and had the slinker yeah. be the primary plot and Amethyst be the secondary plot. Yeah. And I think it was notable that that's they obviously are yeah. telling us okay Amethyst plot is the main thing you're meant to take away the slinker the, is, the, slinker kind of is the generic thing. monster of the week they put in the background to give her a reason to explore identity yeah, yeah. anything else for this one nope nope that's me done okay so the next one is probably going to be the one we'll have the most this week to talk about episode 58 sworn to the sword so, who wants to start us off talking about this episode? It has quite a nice, cute intro, I think, with Connie and Stephen kind mm. of playing and singing together. Even if they do completely rip off the little butler intro. Yeah. Do they? Yeah, it's the same tune. Have you not noticed I'm, that? I hadn't noticed, yeah, no. The... Little butler, little butler. It's, it's literally exactly the same tune. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah. Oh my goodness, the pacing's slightly different, but it's the same note progression. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's the same. That's really weird. I hadn't picked up on that. Um, but yeah, no, this is one of those rare opp- moments where like, it's at least, it's an in-character song. Mm-hmm. Yeah, where we don't definitely... have to question, is this actually happening? No, it's ukulele and violin. Yeah, they're singing it together. Yeah. yeah. They're, they're doing something that's adorably cute, which is they're having a jam session where they jam music, but they also have jam <laughs> Literal, on some yeah, scones, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Can, come on and share this jam with me. It's nice. It's, it's nice. I like these little moments where we see the kind of just hanging out. It's them being adorably cute because they thought of a pun. And clearly, yeah. like, it's like, this is a really cute pun, therefore let's, let's dedicate our day to doing this pun. Mm. And it's lovely and sweet. Yeah. Um, and then they get attacked by seagulls. Yeah. Um, I love the evil seagulls. <laughs> they I, look so menacing when they start flying towards them. Connie does a really good job of fighting the seagulls, or, the seagulls off with her, like, bowstring? Is that what it's called? You'll know, Rhett, It's you... a bow. It's oh, a bow. Okay. okay. <laughs> Not a bow and arrow, but, like, the violin bow. Um... And Stephen looks at this, he's like, you're really good at swinging that thing around, and you were also good at swinging a sword in the dog copter episode, and whatever other time it was that you used a sword. <laughs> yeah, the, he, the, he names, like, the times that we have seen her use yeah. a sword. Like, it's basically like, like, yeah, she's pretty good at wielding... Oh, it was fighting herself in the dream, oh, yes. in the dream yeah, world. It. It's like, she's pretty good with a sword. Mm-hmm. Um, There's potential here. Yeah, can, can, you, can you teach her sword skills? Because it'd be really cool if she could use a sword. Mm-hmm. And, um... But Pearl initially is quite reluctant. I had forgotten how reluctant Pearl was. Yeah. Until I rewatched it and I was like, mm. oh, so at first Pearl's like, no, that's too dangerous. She can't do that. Pearl's really reluctant until she sees that Connie is passionate not about sword fighting, passionate about protecting Stephen slash Rose. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's when she sees herself reflected in Connie that all of a sudden yes. she's like, ooh. It's like, I want to be able to protect you. <gasps> I wanted to be able to protect from Rose and, and Rose and Stephen. Ah! And <laughs> yeah. her face gets so overly excited. Mm-hmm. Um, so they go off to the, uh, the, the, the temple, to the sort of temple ruins to train. Yeah, the fly, yeah. cloudy one. And I think this has been the case before, but I noticed it in this one. 
Um, they've got four different coloured diamonds up above that yeah. temple, and the pink one is crumbling, <laughs> which is as we know because pink diamonds got shattered. Yeah, it's really cool, like just visual detail it's, in the scenery. It's a really nice bit of visual touch that doesn't get a payoff for ages. Like, I feel like it has to be deliberate that yeah. the pink one is the one to be crumbling, and pink is the diamond that is shattered. Like, mm-hmm. that's not an accidental thing, no. but mm-hmm. they planned ahead for that really well. <laughs> yep, seemingly so. It seems like. Like they did either that or they just are really good at picking things <laughs> from past episodes to add meaning mm. to um so Paul learned the idea of being a knight from earth I wrote that down too I found that interesting it's she doesn't seem to have much respect for humans as a race but she does seem to have respect at least for the ideal of knighthood and yeah. some of the I don't know how to put it some of the the ways of thinking that came along hand in hand with that. Yeah, kind of the dedication and yeah. like, honour side she, of it. She admired some of the ideals, even if she looked at it as a set of ideals rather than something that humans came up with. Like, she doesn't attribute mm. the idea of knights to being something like, oh, those humans were so dedicated to protecting those other humans. It's like, the idea of being a knight was a really good idea you lot yeah. had, and you don't do that anymore, so stupid humans. <laughs> well, we have seen her show kind of disdain for modern humans compared to yeah. yeah there's the line about I can't remember what she's saying about I think it might be the power cut one. Oh, I think it's when she says used to hunt and gather and yeah like, what, what happened there? whatever happened to that you used to be really good at that stuff <laughs> like, you humans you've really fallen apart in the last few years <laughs> in the last few uh, millennia yeah. um, so the next thing I wanted to bring up is something that you mentioned between recordings um, over Twitter which was Connie is at real risk from this hollow part. Yeah, yeah. I hadn't thought about this till you brought this up over Twitter with us. Yeah, when um, it stabs Pearl and Pearl, and Pearl, Pearl pops. Poops. Yeah, and it's like Connie is a human child. If that happened to Connie, she would die. Yeah, I never really thought about this before, but hollow pearls we've seen are. Not necessarily big combat challenges, but they also don't take into account the fact that they're training against a, a person that might, you know, undergo harm if defeated. Yeah, they're they, still dangerous. They don't have restraint, and as such, no. if you slip up for a second, even someone like Pearl can end up getting popped. Yeah. But Connie's a human. Yeah. She's not even a human with gem powers like Steven. She's just... If she got stabbed through the chest because she was thoughtless for a second and got stabbed by Hollow Pearl, she'd be dead. Yeah, yeah. presumably. And like, be an awkward it's so messed up. I think you made a really good point that perhaps it would have been better for Pearl herself to have fought Connie yeah, rather than Hollow Pearl. Yeah, she could hold back if yeah, she's if, about to stab. If she's her, about she to go. stab. Like she's got the control and self control to hold back. Yeah. Mm. So like. Considering that Connie's parents have no idea this is going on, because we learn later, it's not until that like really creepy hospital episode yeah. that Connie's mum learns about. Oh no, it's whatever episode it is that Connie takes the sword home and the parents find it. I think that's the That might be one. the same yeah, episode. Is, yeah, yes. sorry. Same parts of the same episode. Yeah. But um, it's not until then that Connie's parents find out. So here, mm. 
Connie's at real risk of damage and her parents have no idea. Presumably they think they're just kind of watching TV or playing music. But yeah. it's like, no, she's fighting in the sky. And it's, it's interesting that they never notice that she's coming home with like calloused hands <laughs> and yeah. like, you know, plasters on her face. It's like, ah, oh, just rough and tumble kid games. <laughs> yeah, just, just as kids do, you know. Yeah, you know, having to wrap all your hands up in bandages from all the calluses. Mm. Why, why not? <laughs> on that note of um, Hollow Pearl being dangerous, it is an amusing kind of visual guy that when Hollow Pearl appears, Steven instinctively bubbles. Yeah. Mm. I saw that as kind of being a moment where he's thinking back to himself being attacked by Hollow Pearl. Yeah. And that kicks in that defence kind of mechanism. I also like that it's now a reflex. He, yeah. he doesn't even realise he's done it, but he automatically bubbles him. Kind yeah. of like, now we're safe. Um, so yeah, from here we sort of very quickly go into do it for him slash her, which is... I think where the bulk of the narrative progression in this episode happens, like, it's yeah. basically just a big narrative montage. Um, mm-hmm. It's another one that's a bit, like, stronger than you in that a lot of narrative happens throughout it. It's basically Connie's progression from, I am learning to use a sword just, like, because that would be a useful skill, through to, I guess, the end point of the song is... I am dedicating myself to protecting Stephen no matter the cost. And it becomes much more about mentality than skill by the end. It it becomes the kind of position she's in at the end where she's like, I am worthless and I need to give myself for him. I I think it's it's so horrible. I I think it's really interesting looking at the structure of the lyrics for this song. So I did have a look at these um, after we finished recording. The structure of the song mimics that progression. So, like, the very first verse is is all about, like, the technical skills of being good at sword fighting. And it's nothing to do with the mentality that, Rose, uh, that Pearl is trying to instill. It's keep your stance wide, keep your body lowered. As you're moving forward, balance is the key. Right foot, left foot, go even faster. As you're moving backwards, keep your eyes on me. And, like, it does start off very just... This is the mechanics of fighting. It's like she kind of loses herself in the memories of when she fought for Rose. Yeah. And that's why she gets yeah. so intense and instills her ideals upon mm. Connie. It it slips in more and more as that song goes mm. on, the, the mentality stuff. Because the first time it comes up, I think, is the first like back and forth repeating section. Where for a second Connie stops concentrating and Pearl's not like, you need to concentrate more. It's concentrate... Don't you want him to live? Mm-hmm. She very quickly lays down incredibly high stakes of if you don't practice this enough, he's going to die. It's going to be your fault. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that, it really is like the standout line in that song for me. Yeah. The way she says it as well, like, don't you want him to live? Like, this yeah. is your fault. Yeah, you know, it's like, oh, oh, I'm sorry, you're not concentrating enough. Did you want your friend to be dead? <laughs> it's it's a lot to put on a kid. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we get, there is a chorus that is Pearl very much talking about herself and Rose, and it's where we get a lot of our insight into what they were like. We get a bit of flashback. Do we think that this flashback is accurate, or is this tinted by Rose's perception of the scene, do you think? I'm not sure. It looks like Jasper, doesn't it? It looks like Jasper is coming up on Rose, and Pearl basically steps in between. She's sort of almost crying, yeah. She's very distraught at the thought of, of Rose being in harm's way and, like, steps in to fight. you got to think about what your life will be like after the war. Yeah. Um, <laughs> mm, another kind of very loaded line. Yeah. I'll pu- I've just pulled up the chorus. Um, 
everything you have, everything you are, you've got to give on the battlefield. When everything is chaos, and you have nothing but the way you feel, your strategy and a sword. Like, mm-hmm. first and foremost, it's like, I feel like protecting her. Before yeah. strategy and your weapon, it's, it's, it's... Yeah, how you feel about this person yeah. is the first thing. Just think about the life you'll have together after the war, which I think is Pearl singing about how she assumed, like, oh, when the war is over, me and Rose will be together. Yeah. Oh no, she fell in love with a man. <laughs> it definitely sounds like, oh, when the war's over, you will we'll settle down together as a couple. Yeah. Um... <laughs> So oh, she's so gay. Oh, she is so gay. Um, I hope you don't mind that I'm doing the thing where I'm just like throwing bits of song at everyone. It, it works. <laughs> um, so the second verse, we definitely get more of that shift to Pearl trying to insist instill a really unhealthy mentality in Connie. This sort of idea that she is worthless unless she can protect Stephen. If she's not protecting Stephen, like that's her only value. Yeah. Um, Deep down you know you weren't built for fighting, but that doesn't mean you're not prepared to try. What they don't know is your real advantage. When you live for someone, you're prepared to die. It's really heavy to put on a kid. (laughs) It's because she's trying, like, I think with that, she's basically just saying how she felt. Oh yeah, way Mm -hmm. too much. This is Pearl, like, Pearl's unhealthy relationship with Rose being projected onto Connie. It's like... Yeah, if you care about Steven, you'll be willing to die for him. If you're yeah. not willing to die, then you don't care. Well, when Pearl shows Rose in battle, like, Steven cries. Because it's, like, the mm. projection of his mm. mom, and he's just kind of really emotional about it. But, like, Pearl is so kind of lost in what she's doing. She doesn't even realise no, that. No, she's just kind of yeah. like, oh, but this thing. Um, And then there's a bit from Connie that is, like, probably my favourite bit of the song, which is the deep down I know that I'm just a human, but I know that I can draw my sword and fight. I'm like, oh, Connie, you're amazing. And, like, as unhealthy as the mentality in this episode is, I love this transformation of of Connie being like, hey, I might not have any powers, but I can still be really cool with a sword and... I still have worth to this team. Yeah. Yeah, it's... Even if she feels worthless during this episode at points, she does see inherent value in the skills she's acquiring, mm. which is like the opposite of Steven, who has like actual magic <laughs> powers and feels useless, yeah. mm-hmm. where she's like, I have no powers, but I'm, I'm getting good with the sword, yep. so I'm okay. Um, yeah, with my short existence, I can make a difference. I can be there for him. I can be his knight. And... Then we get some back and forth where Pearl is very much using the wrong pronouns because she's talking about Rose, yep. not talking about Stephen. <laughs> uh, any overall thoughts on that song? Because I, I, I love that song. It's a really good song. Um, I mean, it's probably one of the best instance, instances of moving the plot forward yeah. and being a really good song and telling us new information about the yeah. character that we didn't really know until this point. And re- oh, the visual pairing to it is also good. Like, perfect. My, my, some of my favourite visual shots in that are like when Connie's wrapping the bandages around the hands mm. from the calluses. Yeah. and She's like, oh, Connie. <laughs> oh, you're amazing. And Pearl has the bandages inside of her gem. She, she does. Pulls she pulls them out. Of, so presumably she was aware they might be needed. <laughs> she was aware she was going to push Connie to the point of calloused hands. Yeah, it, it says a lot. Um... But yeah, we get through do it for her, and um, yeah, a lot of a lot of what goes on after this is Pearl's unhealthy view of protecting Rose slash Stephen. Um, we do get some really nice stuff. 
Connie goes through a character design shift at the end of this at the end of this song that I really like. I love the design of like fighter Connie. Yeah, she's wearing the kind of almost Dragon Ball Z esque like Gohan black yeah. kind of uh <laughs> What's yeah. the word for them? I gee? Yeah, gee. Yeah. I think it's gee. Yeah, she she goes from like hair down, glasses on, bookish nerd with the violin that's like, mm. hey, I'm cute nerd girl, <laughs> to being like, no, my hair is tied back and I'm wearing like workout gear arts, and like, like yeah. you know, wrapped in bandages and I'm gonna go fight and be serious. I'm like, you're becoming the protagonist of that book series you like, yeah. and I think that's really cool. <laughs> it like on the surface it seems like a dramatic shift but with mm. everything that we know and the way it's delivered it feels really natural yeah, it she, makes sense we we know that she has a real passion and interest in like young adult fiction that has strong combat ready female protagonists mm-hmm. and as such it's not necessarily a shift for her who we've seen be proficient with swords to want to it's kind of like when Stephen wanted to learn sword fighting because he saw the anime with the person that <laughs> yeah. did the boomerang blade, except she's like, no, no, I'm a bit, you know, a little bit smarter than Steven. I know that's not how sword fighting goes, but I do like sword fighting and being a cool anime protagonist, mm-hmm. and I want to be a cool anime protagonist with the sword. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, the, some of the depressing stuff that Pearl says about Connie, she's going to be an asset to you. Not, yeah. Not she's getting better, it's She's going to have value as something you can use. Yeah, like a tool, not she, a friend. Yeah, she's not going to be a friend. She's going to be a tool dedicated to well, you. Well, they, they, um, gems do that to other gems in gem society, like Lapis when she was in the mirror. Yeah. Yeah. It's you are serving us a, a helpful function. Yeah. Therefore, that's fine. Stephen um, looks so uncomfortable at the end of the song, though. Oh yeah, like he like tries. He looks distraught. He just wants it's to have like, like five minutes with his friend. Yeah, and Pearl's like, "Nope, we got training. Off you go." And Connie's like, "Oh, sorry, sorry." Yeah. Um, I think like the fantasy yeah. of her learning to become this sword fighter has kind of faded away and been replaced by this much harsher reality that he's very uncomfortable yeah. with. Well, I think part of it is like Pearl tried to teach Stephen to sword fight, and it was never like this. Mm. And I think he imagined that it would be. The same sort of thing as when he was getting taught, taught to fight with the sword, without realizing that the difference would be Pearl sees value in Stephen because Stephen has the rose quartz gem, mm. and as such, it's defending yourself versus throw your life away to defend someone. <laughs> yeah, which is a big difference. Yeah, which I don't blame Stephen for not no. seeing coming, but I also think that Stephen would feel quite left out. Like he's often trying to get the gem's attention and. He likes playing with Connie, and mm. yet all of Connie's time is when she comes over is spent with Pearl. Yeah. So he's mm. barely seeing his friend, and he'll feel useless because he tried to do sword fighting and wasn't any good at it, so he didn't do it anymore. Yeah. Um. So we get a little exchange between Amethyst and Garnet that I find interesting. Garnet apparently told a really funny joke and is the master of comedy, and I really want to know what kind of joke Garnet, who is stoic and sensible, would tell. Mm-hmm. It's that other amusing thing of, like, like cartoons and stuff do it a lot, where it's like, this amazing thing just happened, but you didn't see what it is, so you've yeah. got to kind of imagine it. I, I want to know what a Garnet <laughs> joke is like. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Yeah, and then Amethyst realises that Stephen's sad and just shouts. Yeah. Why are you sad? It's, it's a weird moment. Like, I made note of that as well. Like, it's, it's kind of odd. I was like, maybe that's because she's in this kind of energetic mood from hanging out with Garnet or something. It's mm. an inappropriate tone of voice and volume for dealing with the social situation about emotions. Ah, oh, <laughs> just expect from Jingle. Here comes the Jingle. Oh, now I have to make note of where the Jingle's going in. Potentially autistic spectrum behaviours depicted in Steven Universe. Yeah, no, I. it did seem weird, and I, I don't know what else was meant to be inferred from that. Yeah, it, it sticks out a bit. It is just her responding in totally not the tonally correct way to respond mm. to that situation. I agree. Um, so, uh, we get some really depressing exchanges between Connie and Pearl here. Um, you don't matter. I don't matter. And Connie's reaffirmation of I don't matter. My question is, did this exchange happen between between Rose and Pearl? That's what I want to talk about. Because mm. I've written that down. And I want to know, like... Did, did Rose actively say you don't matter? Yeah, like, there's two ways... Mm. There's two possibilities from it. Yeah. Either Rose was a really unhealthy kind of friend and leader for Pearl... And Rose enabled this behaviour in Pearl. Or mm. the other side of it is, Pearl did all this herself, and Rose kind of tried to discourage her, but Pearl kept pushing herself to be like, no, no, I don't matter, I'm you know, I'm the bodyguard, and I'm not mm. sure what the answer is. Well, there is a, a different point, I don't even know if it were in this episode, or whatever, but um, they have a conversation... Someone has a conversation with Pearl and they say, oh, did Rose make you feel like yeah, you were is... nothing? And she says, no, she made me feel like I was everything. Okay, yeah. That, this comes up at the end of the thing and I have the transcript up for that yeah. when we get there. I, The feeling I get is that whether by choice or not, like consciously or not, I think that Rose was responsible for making Pearl feel this way to some degree. We know that Rose was not above manipulating Pearl emotionally to get what she needed out of her. Like, we know that Rose told Pearl that, like, hey, I will keep no secrets from you. I keep secrets from everyone else, but not from you. Mm. But that she still kept secrets from her. We know that she was not as crystal clear, nice to Pearl, and, like, as as she's made out to be. Yeah. And some of those later things we... Some of those things we know about, like, Rose did have secrets from Pearl and still knowingly manipulated Pearl into thinking, like, no, 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 you know everything. Uh, the fact that she makes the decision unilaterally to hide bismuth and not tell the gems why... I do think that in particular yeah, is an interesting... That, that kind of stuff suggests to me that, like, she might not have done it as a conscious choice, but I really do feel like she probably at the very least recognised that behaviour in Pearl and didn't do anything to stop it. Like, I don't feel like she ever went to Pearl and said, look, this is an unhealthy way to look at things. We should be working together. This is not about you throwing your life away to protect me. Hmm. I think at the very least she had to be aware that that mentality existed and that she clearly didn't do enough to stamp that out. 
I think that's a really good point, mm. but I'm on a slightly different. That's that's alright. Go ahead. And uh, I think a couple of reasons. Um, I mean, I know we're jumping ahead a tiny bit, but of course, Pearl has that line where she says, "Why won't you let me do this for you, Rose?" Mm. I'm wondering, is that something that she said to Rose mm. in the past? Yeah. And mm-hmm. couple that with Pearl also really liking the idea of being a knight. And then also, I'm going back a few episodes, yeah. but when we saw that kind of um, Rose projection that Pearl plays, um, and we see Rose kind of trying to tell Pearl, this is really serious, we can't go home if we do this, yeah. and Pearl's just kind of like, yeah, 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 I don't care. It's like, no, you need to stop and think about this. <laughs> I really like your reading so as well. So I, yeah. I wonder how much of it was... Pearl being like, oh, this idea of being a knight is awesome. I'm your knight. I'm going to do all this. Well, and Rose is kind of like, no, no, don't do that. And Pearl's like, let me do this for you because I want to do there's, this. There's the alternative reading, I guess, on top of that as well, of Pearl's position in society prior to the rebellion, yeah. which yeah. is that Pearls were very much there to be like a servant for whichever class they worked mm-hmm. for. They were definitely a servant class. And as such, it might be that she's just spent so long as part of a servant class within this, like, tiered society that that's how she perceives her value now. Yeah, is that's that what I'm thinking. Being in servitude of someone else and, like, their accomplishments happening because you helped serve them to get them there being how she innately perceives value. That's what I'm wondering. If, mm. like, if to Pearl, Rose trying to stop her was something that Pearl would have found annoying because Pearl was like, no, no, let me do this because this is this is fulfilling. This is how I feel important. I I and feel I feel like the truth has to be somewhere in between these yeah. two. I think that it probably was primarily Pearl led, but that Rose probably could have done more to stop it had she felt like yeah. doing so. The, the big question is how much was Rose aware of it and how much did she yeah. try to stop it or let it happen? I, I think I get the just I get the gut feeling that she let it happen more than she should have done. Okay, so but that's that's just my reading. Yeah, I think that's really interesting, and I think there's totally evidence for that. But I'm on the other side. Or I, yeah. I think she kept trying to get Pearl to stop. I'm with Mia on this one. That maybe Pearl was too. There is totally like a lot of evidence yeah. for both of your side on it. Yeah. But it's interesting to talk about. I, I think if anything, it's really it's a sign of good writing that. We've yeah. that there's evidence both sides for that, and that it's something we can talk about as a complicated kind of yeah. dynamic. It's you know, in in any situation like this, usually the truth ends up somewhere in the middle. But I I very much like your side, even <laughs> if my gut feels. I, the other I like way. yours as well. It's, it's fun <laughs> to talk about. Um, so yeah, we get a conversation between Connie and Stephen, in which Connie says. You are everything and I am nothing. I need to do this for you. And very quickly it's like, you have instilled a very unhealthy attitude in this child. <laughs> mm-hmm, like, absolutely. In this example, we can totally see where it came from is Paul was like, no, this is how you uh this is how you do things. I am the magic sword user. Take on board my warped mentality. Yeah. It is really annoying because it's like She's telling Connie constantly, like, you don't matter, you're not important. But Connie does matter, and especially to Stephen. Mm. Stephen really cares about Connie, and if mm. anything, it should be Stephen being the knight. He has the defensive 
like powers. Oh. He has the bubble and the shield, and so he's half of a knight. He's not got the offensive exactly. And this is I really like how this episode eventually leads to Stevoni with sword yeah. and shield because yep. the crux of this episode is Stephen runs in to protect Connie. Pearl gets angry, being like. Stephen won't be there for you, which I think is like, Rose Rose isn't here for me, yeah. therefore, you know, you shouldn't rely on person with the Rose Quartz jam. Yeah, because when yeah. Stephen's adamant that they will 100% fight together, yeah. and she says you don't know that. Yeah, because she thought that would be the case with Rose Quartz, and now Rose Quartz is yeah. gone. Yeah. Um, and it still reminds me of the conversation that she did have with Rose where... Rose says, are you sure you want to stay here? Yeah. And she says, why wouldn't I? You're here. Yeah. And it's like... And Rose gives that anymore. laugh of like, not forever. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's kind of what we talked about, isn't it? That yeah. like, Pearl obviously had not even thought of the idea of Rose not being around forever. Mm-hmm. And that's why she's so yeah. trusted. Um... So yeah, once once this is done, like the cru- uh, the the resolution is that Rose is like, okay, I'm gonna teach Stephen how to be a knight as well. You know, you're gonna have to play catch up to catch up with Connie, which does eventually lead to combat yeah, Stephanie yeah. with the sword and shield, which I'm so glad that's a thing. Mm-hmm. But um, Stephen can now use his shield at will. Because of the Uncle Grandpa episode. It seems so. It yeah, seems like... It totally seems so. If you watch onwards from this point, he never seems to struggle with the shield anymore. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's because as much as Uncle Grandpa said his episode wasn't canon, I'm pretty sure it's canon. Yeah. If if it's not canon, then some version of it took place. He, like, he, something happened. Yeah. Um. So yeah, then we get that line that you mentioned, Retta. Why won't you let me do this for you, Rose? Oh. <sighs> oh, Pearl. And she, like, she tries to stumble her words back. She's like, I mean, him, d- 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 for Stephen. Why won't you let her do this for you, you Stephen? And it's just, Stephen and Connie don't know how to react to that because it's very clearly, like, Pearl is very embarrassed about what just happened and they don't know whether to acknowledge it yeah, or not. it's interesting they don't really talk about it. Yeah. Um, so there's... I'm really glad that they have a proper like wind down of this episode of talking about why Connie's mentality and Pearl's mentality was unhealthy. Mm. Um, where was it? Um, let me pull up the transcript. Um... Yeah, you shouldn't be anywhere near the fight. You're too important. Blah, blah, blah. Um, Pearl, I didn't mean to mess up your training, but all that you're nothing talk was really freaking me out. Then Connie says, did Rose make you feel like you were nothing? Pearl says, Rose made me feel like I was everything. Um, And again, that's... It's a really sad... Like, the way I interpret that line is as a really sad look of... And again, this might be because I view, at least to a certain degree, Rose as having not stepped in enough to stop Mm. this whole situation. Um, My read on that, like, Rose made me feel like I was everything line, is the way that people who are in abusive relationships often feel about their abusers for a long time. In that this idea of, like by making someone feel worthless and like you're, you as the abuser are the only one that values them, you can end up in a situation where the abused party feels like 
they are everything so long as they're obeying the abuser. And without and, them, they're nothing. Yeah. I took it more as now that Rose isn't there, she feels like nothing. Because she felt important, like she had something to do. Like, mm. she had a purpose, and now that Rose isn't there, she's kind of like, what am I doing? I I get that. Like, I don't know how much of my reading is, like, how much of it is because I view Rose as kind of having let some of this stuff go on and not stopped it. And I don't know how much is to do with my own personal background with abusive relationships I've had in the past, but I definitely always see that that line as being very much like the you know, did this person make you feel like nothing? You know, was this an, a, like a kind of abusive situation you were in? And it's like, no, 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 of course it wasn't an abusive situation. They made me feel like everything. It's mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. yeah, but that's not necessarily healthy yep. that they made that they made you feel like that. I... And you're probably later on going to unpack <laughs> that as they did not treat you properly. I do get the same vibes that regardless of what Rose's um, intent may have mm. been, there's definitely an unhealthy, abusive element to the yeah. dynamic, I think. 100%. Yeah. That at the very least... Like, it's very hard to accidentally get into a situation where someone wraps up their entire sense of purpose and value that deeply into someone. Mm-hmm. And it's relatively... Not easy necessarily but it's much easier to back that down than it is to let that situation happen and that's you know again i don't know which order of like my own thoughts on this adds up together but my reading on the whole situation is just like it does feel like a bit of a horrible abusive situation yeah it it is the it's the the first time i was watching it Mm. it was the first time that i was kind of like okay so maybe rose is not yeah. as... this is one of the big things where like much later on in the show we get that conversation of like did did Rose shatter Pink Diamond of course not she wouldn't do that I'm not so convinced that she didn't shatter Pink Diamond I think it's possibility and this episode is like a big part of that In I think that the version of, of Rose we get shown as this sort of idealised character because we never interact with her personally I think it's going to turn out that she's a lot less clean-cut positive than we expect. I think there is a really interesting story to tell yeah. if they do go down that road about I... like hero worship yeah. and role models. And for that reason, I kind of hope they do. Yeah. Like, but... that's, that's kind of the way I think we're going with it, particularly as we look at more of these late-season <laughs> Rose episodes where, like, in the upcoming next Stephen Bomb, one of the episode descriptions talks about Stephen wanting to fix all of Rose's mistakes or something to that effect. Mm. It's like, I think there are a lot of bad things that Rose did that were eventually going to have to be like, look, Rose saved Earth. That doesn't mean that she's an all-round good person. And, like, we have this for every other... so many other characters. Like, next episode of the Clodcast, we're going to have the episode where we see, like, Pearl is really not a good person sometimes. Yeah. We've had the ones where we've seen Greg really not be a good person. We've seen um, Sadie really not be... We've seen a lot of characters... It's a good point. Yeah. Like, we've seen so many characters who have, like, their episode of you are really not being a good person. You have done something really messed up. I think we're going to get that for Rose eventually. 
And I think that, at least my feeling on this episode is I think it's laying the groundwork for that. Yeah, I could see that. At the very least, some sort of storyline that, you know, everyone idolises Rose, but at the end of the day, Rose was... She was a flawed person, just like anyone else. Yeah, nobody is perfect and without Mm. problems. And I think, like, the the sheer amount she's been raised up as this perfect person throughout the series just leaves so much room for her to... Mm. To easily fall in people's view. But, I don't know, that's a lot of speculation there. (laughs) Just because I, you know... This all got a bit heavy, because you had this, like, relatively, like, Ah, Rose is fine! view of the episode, and I'm like, Abusive relationships, yeah. (laughs) Like that horrible bitch. Exactly, that horrible (laughs) bitch, indeed. Um, (laughs) I don't know, It's, it's really interesting to think about. Like, um... I like to think that Rose isn't intentionally encouraging this in this episode or at least isn't through um what's the right word like ignorance but at the same time i do think that there is a story to tell about rose's flaws and rose's problems i still think it's possible that bismuth shattered pink diamond but i I don't I, i don't think it's likely but i think it's possible i think it's very possible i think that there are a lot of possible explanations of who shattered pink yeah. diamond like bismuth would make sense because she specifically had a device for shattering gems yeah i mean that's that's I, like I th- yeah i think i've mentioned it before but i was saying um i th- the reason i think bismuth is possible not just because of her personality yeah. and the weapon etc is because there's obviously something that made Rose bubble bismuth. Yes. And shattering a gem well, could be it. The, I, my, the surface level assumption, I guess, is bismuth created a thing for shattering gems and was willing to use it. And in my mind, that's when Rose was like, that's already enough that I'm going to pop and bubble you. Yeah. Before she even had a chance to use it, maybe. But I think either bismuth shattered pink diamond or Rose used Bismuth's Shatterer to shatter Pink Diamond. Possibly she bubbled Bismuth and was like, no, we can't do this. Then realised what Pink Diamond was doing and was like, well, I guess I'm going back on my word. I guess we're doing this. I could see that. That'd be interesting. Yeah, I will sink to your levels, Bismuth. But if that's the case, why didn't she then um, um, bubble Bismuth being like, turns out you were right, sometimes that is needed. If that was so, though, wouldn't the um, Gem Shatterer have been... Like, probably in Lion? Oh, maybe. Because, like, Bismuth was hidden there and none of the other gems knew. Unless... Unless Rose left it because she was like, if I ever need this again... Then again, I think it's still... Why wouldn't she leave it in the armory? Why wouldn't she leave it in Lion? Like, there are secret places she could have left Mm, it. That's true. Yeah. It's, It's an interesting question. And does anyone have anything else to say on this episode? think that was everything I've just got two more little tiny things yeah, that I've they're not relevant or anything <laughs> um, one thing is that the hand where the laundry gets done there's a warp pad on it so and that's how they get like there. up and down it yeah because they're on the hand of the temple which yeah. is obviously quite high in the air but one thing that I also wondered there's a washing machine up there how is that getting power uh, solar panel yeah or maybe. many extension leads that are hung up the arm I could see you <laughs> or um, magic yeah. gem they, tech they plug it into the warp pad exactly yeah. can you run an extension lead through the warp pad <laughs> just permanently leave it turned on <laughs> 
Um, so our final episode to discuss this episode is Rising Tides, Crashing Skies, <laughs> which is a Ronaldo documentary. Mm-hmm. Who wants to kick us off on this one? I kind of like that this episode is entirely through Ronaldo's documentary. Like, am I right in that it never stops being footage from his documentary? It never stops being his documentary mm-hmm. um, at all, to the point that from start to finish, it is like, here's his Comic Sans opening graphic, all the way through to Windows Media Player end card. Yeah, I, I love the like Windows Movie Maker, kind yeah. of blue. Oh, God, yeah. It's only at the very, very end of the episode, because um, oh, yeah, Stephen oh, says... Yeah. Um, who else has watched it? And yeah. Amethyst looks and says it looks like we're the only people that have and ever he, watched he it. he gives it a like. Yeah, he's like, click. I think that's the only bit that's not in documentary. Yeah. But it is really nice to see such a consistent framing device used mm. for a Ronaldo episode. Um, it's all a lot of silly stuff. There's a lot of things that, like, really should have been edited out, Ronaldo. <laughs> you could have edited that quite easily, even in Windows Movie Maker, yeah. I promise you. Part of the joke is how bad he is at this. Um, he overspins in his chair and, like, <laughs> he goes too far. He tries to do a dramatic spin and goes too far. Um, uh, there's a graphic he uses of a blurred picture of Stephen wondering if he maybe has a baby. Baby maybe? Baby maybe. Um, I think that's kind of mean. Has he suggested that Stephen's pregnant because he's fat? I think it's two things. It's it's that. But I think also it's meant to be a joke on kind of like paparazzi kind of, oh, we've snapped this photo of this I, woman. Is she pregnant? I think it's partly that. I think it's also partly, is that what the gem is? Is, <laughs> yes. is Stephen growing an alien rock person baby? Possibly. Um, um, so yeah, his intro card is Comic Sans with way too many different titles for his documentary. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, a couple of things I noticed: um, his little brother was clearly a bit scared during the whole alien invasion, which is fine. He he teases him by showing the footage, even though he wouldn't want it shown. But he does give his brother a hug, which is kind of nice. Mm-hmm. He clearly cares at least a little. Yeah. Um, he talks about how the hand exploded into an explosion. <laughs> <laughs> I love how like he has all this footage and then when the hand crashed he didn't get the footage he was just pointing the camera in the car yeah. and he's like oh I missed it <laughs> um, I also love a high five of the third kind oh I missed that that's so good um, so he goes around town asking like who do you think saved everyone everyone's just like the gems probably Stephen's Sisters. Yeah, I, I found it kind of interesting that Sadie's response where she says, oh, this stuff sounds hard to believe, but I've seen some pretty wild stuff. It's like a look into how the town have started to realise, okay, the stuff that Stephen talks about is real. Lots well, of weird stuff happens here. Sadie should be a bit more aware than that, considering she used, she, a used, pad. she used a teleporting warp pad to go to an island where an invisible monster with a yeah, gem and in she killed that the she had to monster. murder. That's true. Like That's she point. should probably be a bit more like, no, yeah, this is the, it's the gems. <laughs> you know. One thing that I do like, um, it's very Ronaldo because, like, it says the person's name and then underneath, like, the description of them. Mm-hmm. And Sadie, underneath, it's horror movie enthusiast. <laughs> he he is 
I love some of his um, things he writes underneath people. Um, he lists his dad as executive producer, and I don't know if that's maybe because like his dad helped him buy the camera or something. That's what I'm thinking he, he's paid for the. Computer. Or it's like you're letting me have time off work, therefore executive <laughs> producer credit. Um, so I love some of the in-character little moments we get, uh, like when Ronaldo's like, "Who saved the town?" Well, I believe the voters saved the town. Like the mayor's <laughs> like, yeah. I think the voters saved the town by electing. Um, and then he mishears something Just and wonders up, up wonders about a cover up. Yeah. <laughs> Security. Um, um, I also love that Ronaldo wide shot where he's like really far away from the camera, but he's yeah. not using a separate mic source to record his audio. <laughs> so he's just kind of like talking, and you can't hear him. And his brother has to be like louder. <laughs> Total like misunderstanding. <laughs> he totally misunderstands like how to actually make a documentary. A lot of it's yeah. like I think it's sort of like this, which like on the next scene he mentions cinema verite, which again. Yeah. Kids are going to know a cinema where it is. He, he clearly knows a lot about filmmaking. But that's the thing. I can see Retta looks confused. Cinema Verite, which was like flashback to my media studies degree. Cinema Verite is a French documentary style. And the amusing thing is, he's not making a documentary in Cinema Verite. Yeah. But he uses it as if he's like, yeah, yeah, this is what I'm doing. But again, he's like... He knows the term, but he doesn't really know what it means. He's clearly heard it and wants to parrot it to sound like he knows what he's on about. (laughs) Did anyone else notice that Sadie blushes at Ronaldo? Like, nearly the entire time that they're talking? She she does, and my read on that was just that she was, like, a bit shy in front of the camera. I got that as well, but it's also kind of like... The Lighthouse episode didn't play. I could could see them being... You know what? Honestly... I think they'd make a healthier couple oh, than her yep. and Mars. Um, like, you know, Ronaldo could do with toning himself down slightly, but they they, they could make a sweet yeah, couple. I think that could work. Um, also, Mayor Dewey has a cup on his desk that says, number one rad dad. I, I do wonder I if he that. bought that for himself That's or whether what Mark I bought thought. it for him. Yeah. Um, in terms of Sadie blushing, actually, I do think it's interesting that only a few episodes ago, we had Uncle Grandpa sinking, <laughs> sinking the headcanon ship of Sadie and Lars, which might have been to then make way a few episodes for hinting at the Ronaldo more, Sadie. More evidence that the episode is secretly canon. Yeah, it might it might be canon. Um, uh, this is why we then get Ronaldo like talking about a bunch of stuff that's like future plot points. Yeah, um, again, Ronaldo was right. He, yeah, he knows what he's talking we, about. We should always listen to um, Ronaldo because what was it he predicted last time? Um, um, the Diamond Society. Oh yeah, the hierarchical diamond yeah. diamond overlords yeah. of their society. And, like, and he basically predicts the cluster. Yeah, he predicts yeah. the the cluster, the diamonds at the top of the hierarchy. Mm. This time, uh, let me. Um, right, here, here's the line. Um, not us, uh, me and the Crystal Gems. Uh, so the hand wasn't here to snatch up humans for a human zoo. Um, that's some nice foreshadowing of the human zoo. Which is, like, quite far into the future from this point. That's, like, season four. That's literally years away at this That point. is a good 60-ish episodes away from here. Might be more than 60. Yeah. Um, 
And there's also potential that that might be coming back again, because one of the episodes in the next Even Bomb seems to be something about people going missing from Beach City, oh. and there may be being new gems, so maybe there's going to be more human zoo stuff. Yeah, interesting. So do we want to entertain the idea that the other things <laughs> Ronaldo lists might turn out to be canon? Because I think the others are misdirection. You say that, I don't want to assume that they're misdirection, <laughs> because... You know, snatching up humans for a human zoo might have seemed a bit silly. It's true, in hindsight. Um, uh, are they here to interfere with our subsidised Beach City wind farm? I also wonder about that. Wasn't there an episode, like, isn't there an episode in the future to do with the wind farm? I can't remember. Like, I remember that the wind farm has been mentioned. It might be. If, if it is, I don't remember it being a big, dramatic yeah. plot point. But I could see them trying to harvest power sources from Earth, um, or thaw out the cryogenically frozen pets of the 1%. That would seem like a stretch. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe, but I, you could see an argument for what creatures have humankind deemed to be of the most value. Is it going to be more lions? <gasps> the 1% oh, could be the gems? Oh my god, could there be more lions and they're currently frozen somewhere? <laughs> I well, we our lion was in a desert, it would make thematic interestingness for the rest of them to be in the opposite kind of place, <laughs> yeah. like a blizzard. And the um, <laughs> one of the very first things that we do see in Steven Universe like ever is lion lickers, the frozen lion heads. <gasps> That's a good point. Oh, frozen lions. Oh my god. Okay. Steven Universe Theory Time, we're calling it now, we're predicting there's going to be frozen lions, or snow lions, or some kind of lions in a cold place. You heard it here first. Yeah. <laughs> just, you, just, just you wait, Ronaldo knows what he's on about. <laughs> um, also, I'm going to be watching out for any references to wind farms as we go on mm-hmm. now. Um, so, where do we go from here? Ronaldo makes the, the belief that the gems are the cause of the danger in Beach City, which... They kind of are. Yeah, it's yeah. not entirely untrue. It's the whole, like, Batman argument you yeah. see, where it's like, by being here to protect people, are you causing more danger to arrive in the mm. town? I, I, I feel like if the gems were not in Beach City, there would still be monsters coming to Earth, but they would come to wherever the, the gems are. Mm. And the gems could probably station themselves out in, like, a desert in the middle of nowhere. But equally, if something then did start attacking people... They wouldn't be nearby to help. Yeah, because the temple would still be there. Yeah. So if the temple attracts anything, there'd then be nobody there to help. Exactly. I think it's like, hey, there's stuff here that's attracting that's attracting these creatures anyway. We might as well make this our base. Yeah. Well, they centred it um, around a warp pad. So presumably they would go there anywhere. Yeah, but I don't feel like the warp pads are inherent to Earth. I think they were probably built on Earth by the gems. I don't feel like warp pads are an inherent feature of a planet. Yeah, that's a good point. So they are of the galaxy warp. Yeah, and that's a good point in that gems most likely built the warp pads, but did the crystal gems build the warp pad on the beach? I assume not. Yeah. Maybe the crystal gems themselves don't know how to build those warp pads. And it was already there when it was just the cave. Yeah. Because that's, that's what yeah. um, Rose is dancing on. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I would guess that maybe a type of gem we've not yet seen that gets introduced at some point will be like a building class gem that 
we might see a gem that's yeah. like, this is the kind of gem that built the warp path. Unless, and this is really out there theory, unless it's like, whoever built the gems built the warp path. Yeah, there's always that. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> probably not the time to go into that. that that's a thing to think about for the future. Um, I love some of the weird turns of phrase Ronaldo uses in this documentary. Um, the people of Beach City were too afraid to realise that they were afraid. <laughs> <laughs> like it's, it, he does weird mental gymnastics, but it's really charming ultimately. Yeah, because there's nothing really malicious about what he's doing. Like when he finds out that okay, the gems are causing the problem. Yeah, he, he tries to get them to leave. He's he's trying to do the right thing. He's mm. trying to protect Beach City, yeah. and uh, like I can't fault him for his thought process. Um. So the gems agree to leave Beach City. Um, Garnet is the one to to first agree. And I have to assume this is because future vision, she knows it's going to be fine. Yeah, I thought that as well. Like, she's clearly not committed. Uh, like, committing yeah. when she's like, yes, we'll leave. It's clearly just a throwaway kind of like, yeah, okay, bye. We're, uh, we're going now. <laughs> but Pearl seems to take it quite seriously. Well, Pearl always takes everything seriously. <laughs> she's true. very literal. Mm. Um... So then Ronaldo's brother Petey notes that uh, Ronaldo has caused Beach City to stop being weird. <laughs> Ronaldo has become everything he hated. I just want um, to say one thing. You know about the crab thing that Garnet and oh, Pearl yes. are fighting? Um, it just made me laugh because um, Garnet shouts, aim for the eye, and Pearl responds, aye, aye, Garnet. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's like a rare kind of joke moment. Yeah, and I'm like, Pearl doesn't normally make jokes, mm. especially not like in the heat of the moment sort of thing. Yeah, go her. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, Ronaldo has like failed in his one mission to keep Beach City weird. And I think that's a really, like, it's a really well thought out consequence of like, what's the worst thing Ronaldo could do? Make Beach City not weird. <laughs> um... So he ends up being like, please don't leave. I want Beach City to be weird. Windows Media outro, <laughs> a Windows Movie Maker, and there you go. The end. Yeah. Any any thoughts on this before it ends? Did Garnet predict that if she said, okay, we'll leave, that he would then have a revelation that he actually wants them to be yeah, there? I think we were just saying. That's, like, I think that's so. why I think that Garnet was the one to suggest yeah. they leave, is because she was like, it's fine. If we go to leave, he'll realise that it's, yeah. he likes having us here and that he'll tell us not Sorry to Sorry if leave. I repeated something. I did daydream for a minute. So no, that's all right. That's we, we, think, we think that's why Garnet was the one to suggest yes. they leave, because she probably had a future vision about the outcome of that. I also like that um, Stephen says, but... And Garnet says, put your butts away, Stephen. <laughs> yeah, put your butts away indeed, Stephen. Um, so yeah, I think that's everything I had about this batch of episodes. My goodness, this episode went on uh, longer than I expected it to. Uh, we're at considerably over two hours. Wow, okay. Yeah, we're like Whoops. two hours 15 Sorry. or so. Thank you for listening if you've got this far. Yay! <laughs> yeah. uh, so that's it for another episode of the Crystal Clogcast. Thank you very much for listening. We will have another episode for you again next week. Time to do self-promotion. Mia, where are you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at OhMiaGod. Um, I'm getting mixed up now. I'm also on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash MiaViolets. I have a web... Uh, there. I can't speak. I've, I've said this bit so many times 
I'm trying to fall back into the way I normally say it and then tripping up. <laughs> it's fine, power ahead. I have a website called miaviolet.com, which is my blog, and there is lots of fun things on there about like why I really dislike the Hydra Captain America twist. So if you want to read about that, then you can do that on my website. Woo, Retta, where are you on the internet? I'm pretty much super Retta pretty much everywhere. S-U-P-A-R-R-A-Y-T-A-R. Uh, and I'm Laura K. Buzz pretty much everywhere. That's on Twitter, YouTube, uh, LauraKBuzz.com, Patreon, that's what pays the bills. Otherwise, uh, Let's Play Video Games.com, that's my places. Before we go, I just oh, realised. Oh, um, yeah. If you have a question or anything you want to, to talk comments about, or thoughts, yeah, anything, or anything you'd like to share, you can email us at <gasps> hello at crystalclodcast.com. Yeah, we have that now. Hello at crystalclodcast.com. And... If you've emailed the older Gmail account, do not worry, because we do have your questions. Yes, we do have some emails that went to, I believe, the other one that it directs to anyway, I think, is uh, crystalclodcast at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. We have your emails there. At some point in the future, we're going <laughs> to do a, a, a listener mail mm-hmm. episode. So get your, your contacts and emails and things in. <laughs> Uh, Thank you very much for listening. We'll have another episode next week. Bye.